Too Many Jams. It's a show about all things 20-year-old. With help from friends, experts, and our own personal experiences, we hope to shed some light on those things that leave our age group lost and confused. Now, before I butcher your last name for the millionth time in my life, this is my mentor, Ian Hayes. 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 How do you spell it? H-A-A-S-E, but pronounce it like H-A-Z-E. Okay. Like you're in a haze. Why? How have you been saying it for the past years? Can you guess how I say it? Haas. Ian Haas. Yeah. Okay. That sounds familiar, actually. And then it became Haas. I said Ian Haas because I knew it wasn't Haas. I knew enough to be like, it's not the way you think. Some people even say house. It's fine. (laughs) I I actually don't care, but it is haze. We got Ian in the house. So it's Ian Ian Hayes. And uh, Ian is. It's actually going to be one of the more special episodes because Ian is a, is a particularly qualified person to speak on the 20-year-old experience as he was my mentor in the entrepreneurship programs at Western and even beyond that. Um, and before we get into his story, which is lengthy and in my opinion, super cool, um, let's uh, shout out our sponsors. True yeah. History Beer. True History, 12 Swans. Wanna have a sip there, Ian? You are a beer guy, eh? I'm a beer guy, yeah. Yeah. This this is gonna mean a lot coming from Awesome. Mr. Ian. Yep. It's good beer. It's good beer. Not bad for an IPA, eh? It is very good, yeah. Flavorful, fruity. I like uh, it. A Western grad. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So True History Beer, get their uh, Pilsner at all the LCBOs and get their IPA at select restaurants. And then I still give Riffs and Rye a shout out in here, you know that. Riss and Rye was the company I took through the incubators with Ian at Western. So if you want to support just that whole general idea, Jams 15 <laughs> at Riss and Rye and uh, Bottle Rocket Hair. Robbie's girlfriend, excellent, excellent uh, salon she just opened. She's got a deal for anyone who comes off the pod. Follow her on Insta, DM her to get that deal, and that's all in the show notes. Let's get into it. Ian, you're a busy man. Aren't we all? Thank you for making time for us. Yeah, no worries. No you're, worries. You're Happy to be in, here. You're busy in a different way. Like, I, I, I'm busy, but at any moment, if something important comes up, I can restructure that whole thing. You have a family. Mm-hmm. You have a pretty intense career right now. And it's just not quite the same. And you have ge- geography constraints. That is that is fair. Yeah, I mean, it's all uh, it's all relative to your life stage, I find. <laughs> I, I don't feel any more busy now than I did in the past, but... I think if you look at it on paper, I probably am. So. I got follow-up questions for all of those. Um, you got a family. How many kids? I got uh, two kids, Maya and William, uh, about to turn nine and six. Okay. Job, what do you do? Right now, I am the co-founder and CEO of Motif Labs, which is a cannabis oil extraction company. In Very Ontario. cool. And then geography restraints, I guess, he, leads to like it was originally where it's not legal. I guess. No, no, I'm talking about where he lives. Oh, okay. <laughs> where he lives and works. Okay. <laughs> Just like uh, at the time, uh, well, you're not in. You're now not in London. Our site is is in Elmer, which is about 30 minutes south of London. Yeah. So yeah, live in London. Live in London, work in Elmer. Work in Elmer. Spend a lot of time in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. you do come through for work the fair a, a bit, and we try to get uh, a bite or a beer every now and then. 
But the what's really cool uh, about you was the um, your journey was like that of basically every side of entrepreneurship. I feel like you could experience. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I've always been a, a pretty entrepreneurial guy. It's kind of funny when you look back on it, you know, after 20, 30 years, you're like, oh man, I did all the things that you hear those prototypical entrepreneurs do. Like I had the, the paper route and the yeah. garage sale. And then I used to buy things at garage sales and sell them at other garage, like my own garage sales like, for more money. And... You could probably copy and paste like the 1-800-GOT-JUNK guy's biography <laughs> and just like <laughs> take certain stuff out and, and put yours in. Like very classic entrepreneurial. But then you added what I think was completely out of left field, which was running the entrepreneur development program. Um, and we'll, I just wanted to outline it all here so people can get an idea of, of what we're going to get into. Um, but can we, can we do this typical? Can we go from the beginning and sure. And just, there's a young Ian, where were you living? What was your family life? Like, what were you into? Take sure. us back. Okay. All those years. If I can remember them all yeah. a while ago. <laughs> Yeah, you know, pretty typical uh, middle class upbringing in in London, Ontario. So uh, both my parents uh, worked growing up, and my brother and I were heavily into uh, soccer. So where did you go to school, London? Uh, Oak Ridge High okay. School in the West End, and uh, yeah, it's funny. My my parents emigrated from England uh, when my brother was small, so I was born in Canada. But uh, my dad had been a, a semi pro soccer player in oh, England before coming over, and so. My Canadian life was all about like indoor and outdoor soccer versus hockey. I didn't get into that till later, but uh, yeah, just uh, pretty, pretty typical upbringing. And, uh, you know, uh, went to Oak Ridge and then went to uh, Western after that uh, for my undergrad as well in kind of the late uh, 90s, early 2000s. And so, so you were saying you did the paper route, you did all this stuff, you know, garage sale, things like that. What age did that like start? Pretty early, I'd say like 12, 12, 13. Did a lot of babysitting too, just anything. I just liked saving money at the time. I remember I didn't really spend a lot, but I just always in the back of my head had like, you know, you've got this time. Why, where'd that come from? That's not normal. Early, not typical, I wouldn't say right. normal. It's not typical. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know, honestly. it's I didn't really get, my parents weren't like terribly into finance or even anything like that. I just think from an early age, I understood the value of a dollar and uh, yeah, just, you know, I think when you put time and effort into something, if it feels like your own, your own business, and then you earn money from that, it's a different feeling than having like a job and earning money. And uh, I'm sure you found even with wrist and right, like when you actually make something and put it out there, there's a certain vulnerability of like, you're owning something, you're putting it out there and then someone like pays you money for that. But it's, it took, that program, that company at Risk and Rye, or sorry, at Western, and uh, it was only until second year uni where I figured that out for the first time. Um, as a 12-year-old, I didn't understand that at all. Right. I didn't understand that money came from anywhere other than when your parents hand it to you. Right. Or that job that they hook you. Oh, you're going to babysit the neighbors. Okay, I'm going to do that. Right. What are you going to do this summer? I'll teach swimming lessons. And like, and it was just like that's where money comes from. Yeah. Um. So you said your parents weren't particularly like entrepreneurial. What about your brother? Like, was there anyone influencing you? Like, I think. A, I mean, thinking back, I I think one of the things that kicked in was I had a couple. Uh, you know, when you get to like 16, 17, I had a couple like really hard jobs. Like one year, I was building swimming pools, like sanding concrete, and like mm -hmm. a, just labor a hole, like in the beating yeah. sun, <laughs> making you know at the time minimum wage was probably like nine bucks an hour or something. Just thinking like 
there's got to be more to it than this. And, and, you know, that, so that summer I saved up all summer and the next summer I basically started my own pool cleaning company using all the skills I had from like the first year. I'm like, Hey, this will probably work out better if I just did this myself. So buy the equipment the next summer, try it. I did the same thing the next year. I got a really hard job, um, doing like interlocking stone, just pavements and driveways <laughs> again, slaving away. Yeah. Like yeah I've always labor. thought that would be a grind. Yeah. Driveways it's a grind. and stuff like, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, but again, it's good to have kind of those hard jobs. And then, you know, the next summer, my brother and I started a company and we, we were doing the same thing, but now doing it for ourselves. Right. And so I think I've always just been good at picking up skills like through jobs or through other experiences and then leveraging that into ways to make money. I'm impressed because I always had the opinion that at that age, at least, or from most people's stories, you need to have experiences to, to guide you down these paths. Either a desperate need for money, like you come from a family that doesn't have it and you right. want stuff. Uh, role models, like, but any, I don't know, I don't know other examples, but you understand what I'm getting at. Yep. Usually some, some form of reference to, to pull all that from. Uh, so I think it's even more impressive when someone that has a comfortable upbringing, a balanced upbringing, yep. lands in a, non-typical career like entrepreneurship uh and i don't think that's the way it used to be like i bet like olden days entrepreneurship was just what people do but then this professional revolution came through uh so you start doing all this stuff and you're in high school you you now understand the difference between labor working for yourself where money really comes from and then why do you decide to go to university and what did you take yeah i think it was just back then it was it was the path it wasn't really, I mean, uh, I actually, I did go for, I went to college for a year in between high school and university just to get my marks up a little bit. I wasn't the, the best student in high school, but, uh, made it through. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, I, I went because I, a didn't really know what else I'd had those hard jobs and I knew like, I didn't want to do that forever. Mm. So I knew I probably need some education and I, uh, I went for science for undergrad uh, probably around second year, I'd say I had some ambition to go to med school, thought it might be kind of fun. So I started taking all the like prereqs to, to do that and wrote the MCATs twice. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, it's tough because I hadn't done a lot of science up until that point. I think like second years when I got into it more hardcore, but, uh, yeah, ultimately, I mean, that didn't work out, but it led me down this, this other path, which is, is probably for a really good thing. And, um, yeah, but undergrad, again, I, uh, typical, I didn't live in res first year, which is one of my biggest regrets. I lived oh, with my sweet. parents in first year and I think missed out on a lot of experiences, but second year moved out with some buddies for the mm -hmm. next three years. And, uh, yeah, I had a great time at Western. It's an awesome school and obviously went back 10 years later to, to Ivy to do an MBA and, uh, different stage of life, but, uh, no, it's a great town. Let's, uh, let's not skip over that stage though. So fast, <laughs> you know, I, I know you like as this person as i said i know you from like a very specific point in time onwards even your story the story that you tell the kids uh the students that were coming through your programs starts right. at a very specific point in time so this is like this is one of the first times i've dove deeper um were you continually doing jobs entrepreneurial stuff in uni were you doing the typical university experience were you was western at the time um similar different in any ways that that you, cause you've been there, like you, yeah, you've seen the progression. I'd, I'd say it was pretty similar. I mean, 
being in your 20s back then and now it's i mean some of the technology and things are are mm -hmm. different but overall the experience was was i think much the same to what i see with with the kids on campus now did um, you partake in all the same uh oh yeah four, four, five, three, four yeah. or five nights a week out of the bars and uh <laughs> it's yeah, standard was, yeah standard was working part-time just to sort of make ends meet but had uh had osap and was taking taking loans throughout just so i didn't have i i wanted to have a really good experience at university and i didn't want to sort of have to work a full-time job as well. So I was willing to go into a, a bit of debt to make sure I got the most out of that experience. Did you have the idea that I had going to university that this was like the last kind of hoorah? Like this was <laughs> like, it's like university is the, the point where things become serious. There's no longer just your child. It's like, I was like, get it out of your system. This is it. Right. Then I decided to become what I am now. <laughs> just keep that going. But did you have that idea? Not, not really. I don't think. Yeah, I can't ever remember thinking that. I just, I think we've we've had this conversation before as well in terms of you know uh, even in the opening of your podcast, you know, you you talk about twenty year olds and sort of getting through your twenties and trying to figure stuff out. And to me, it's more of uh, that's more of a mindset. Like I still feel like that now. I'm in my forties as well, right? And it's yeah. I, I think it's just certain people have the mindset of they're just always going to be looking for something new and they're just ambitious or driven people or they're just they don't often settle into things and they're maybe not the typical mold for like a nine to five job for the next 20 years and i i think people have that in their 20s 30s 40s whatever yeah because i i'd say i was a little bit different than what you just mentioned trav going into university i was more like uh you know or even finishing I, like i didn't think it was going to be like like this is it get it out like even after i graduated i was like you know what, like figure things out as they come, you know, like I'm not, I'm still not really that worried, like graduating and stuff right. that I hadn't really had everything all mapped out, even like coming out of like a general, uh, general program. Yeah. I'd say I, I felt similar. It didn't feel like that ominous, like this is the last chance. Though. I went in with a completely professional mindset though. Right. I was in a professional program right. with an exit path, right? Hired like you knew, I knew exactly. Yeah, you had a little more distinct uh, at program, every right? point. Right. It was only halfway through school when I derailed my right. entire plan, <laughs> uh, and I'm and I'm super happy. for I'm it. proud of you. Oh, good for you. Thanks, <laughs> mom, dad. If you're out there, he's proud of me. Okay, this is not the end of the world. Um, okay, so you finished up university. You wrote the MCAT a few times. Um, again, but you said like just kind of. I got you know I just. I did well, like I got waitlisted to a bunch of schools, but like I just, again, looking back, everything's clear in hindsight, but you know, my heart probably wasn't fully into it. Um, but at the same time, I got interested in a master's program at McGill in Montreal. So I applied there as well uh, to, to start sort of furthering my knowledge of, of just certain parts of science that I was interested in. And uh, you just wanted more debt too? Wanted more debt, wanted to move to <laughs> Montreal for a few years, seemed like a fun thing to do in your mid twenties. And uh yeah, so that all sort of culminated in the summer of uh, 03. The whole med school interview stuff was going on. I got into McGill and decided to uh, just pack up. And and what was the master's program? Uh, it was a master's of science in uh, epidemiology, which uh, for the lay person is the study of infectious disease transmission. Okay. So I was doing research in Montreal on tuberculosis and sort of monitoring how that maps and how that spreads amongst the population and trying to find ways to make that better, faster, mm -hmm. sort of thing. Which, cool. se which I guess segue, is is that the segue to the, your next <laughs> stage of life uh, with it the is. business? Yeah. 
Or yeah, is there any so, things in between that I would know about? No things. I mean, just to, to circle back on the last point of just the entrepreneurship and, and it's sort of being ingrained, I would say the one thing I learned sort of leading up to that point is like, I was just always like such a, not a bad employee in that like I was a bad worker. I didn't give my heart to something, but more just like I'd last somewhere like a year and I'd be like, I can do this better myself or I'd rather be. And so this, that same mentality, I think was sort of, as I started getting to the end of my program at McGill, which was a two year program, I, uh, I just started getting like nervous about getting like a job again, right? Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't yeah. want, you know, it's, it's just doesn't seem like the right thing for me. I'd, I'd been doing a few polite placements throughout, uh, and just getting sort of a sense of what that office environment would be in, in Montreal and wasn't loving it as well. And then, uh, yeah, luckily enough for me, my supervisor at the time, who was a, a doctor in Montreal, uh, just was a really entrepreneurial guy. And I was applying to some PhD programs mainly because like, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And it was like, Hey, you actually, if you go far enough in school, they start paying for you. It's yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like reverse. Like you get paid more than your tuition. So I was like, Oh, that's kind of, and, uh, but he could kind of tell. And he's like, you know what the research you're doing? Like, I, I think there's definitely some merit to it. Um, Probably with three months left of my master's, I was lucky enough that the software I'd basically been using for my degree, they released uh, an open source layer on it, which means you could kind of add a little bit of computer code and like customize it in different ways. And luckily enough, I'd taken a few uh, comp sci courses in undergrad, uh, just more out of interest as electives than anything. But, uh, you know, spent my, my first company, I guess, which we'll get into now, sort of started one night in the lab, they'd released this open source layer and... I was just like, oh, I wonder if I could uh, just play around with this a little bit. And, you know, literally on 20 lines of code, made some new maps, basically, that were pulling together research over the past sort of 20 years on on the disease and took it in the next day to the office. Um, they have something called rounds at the hospitals working at where sort of all the doctors come in and they just talk yeah. about. So I used to get invited to those and I just kind of stuck these up uh, on the screen and like physicians heads were like exploding they're like how did you do this where did you pull this day and that was kind of the light bulb moment where you know a few weeks later my my supervisor said to me you know you're you're an entrepreneurial guy i think you could turn this into a business and if you decide to sort of go forward and don't go to grad school you know uh we'll be your first customer and it wasn't a ton of money or a big contract but it was enough for me to say all right you know what i can at least pay rent for the next year and yeah. like, try and figure out if this is going to be a Just thing or not so, back for a sec so on uh through code you you mapped out like uh explain what the d sorry explain what the disease was again sure uh, yeah this was tb so essentially i mean at the highest level because i don't want to get too in the weeds on, on like yeah. clinical no, let's, epidemiology let's but essentially i found yeah. a creative way to link different data sets that already existed but in real time on a map so uh, okay. typically what would happen in the time tb in montreal someone has an active case of TB, they would have to do this crazy contact investigation where they interview all that person's family members, everyone they work with, examine how they get to work, is it the subway, is it the bus, and immediately try and, and lock things down. Similar to kind of what's happening uh, now in the world. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of funny coming back uh, full, cir full circle. And so yeah. the faster you can sort of pull that data together and visualize like, here's this person's network, here's yeah. everyone they might have been. Uh, the easier it is to sort of contain and limit the outbreak. And so by leveraging that technology, it was able to sort of save the hospital kind of money and time with fixing Interesting. That out. So were you kind of like a pioneer in terms of creating this 
kind of platform technology? A little bit. Yeah, it was definitely novel at the time. It's now you can do it on Google Maps. Uh, this is in there. You know, they map yeah. influenza every year and things like that. So, uh, sorry, what what year was this? This was in. Uh, this would be in oh four oh five. This was coming out. Okay, so kind of early two thousands. Um, I mean, tech was around. The internet yeah, yeah, was yeah. around, but there wasn't you know a ton of cloud based systems hopping around or anything like that and i'm not even like a tech guy or a developer and so that's why i think my story is a little bit unique and that i ended up running this tech company for four years on like well, that's what i was going to ask because your story at no point did you mention tech yet and you're like oh right. a couple comp sci courses wrote some code and then this whole thing exploded so this idea as you said was novel at the time it was yep. valuable at the time you had your first customers did you then seek tech help did you hire people? Did you develop the idea more? Like, what was it? What was the deal? That's that's a good question. Um, in hindsight, I should have. So this <laughs> this begins, I guess, sort of the first story of of my company, which again was a, a humbling experience. But I think as a sort of a scientist who sort of fell into what felt like actually like a real business this time around, as opposed yeah. to you know everything else, kind of positioned as a side hustle or like nothing's banking on it. But when kind of all of a sudden you're living on your own and now like you have bills to pay and you're running a company and you don't have another job, it, it's a different mindset. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't need to at first. I would say the first sort of year or two, I was mainly using a lot of contractors. I was able to build and grow the business, raise a little bit of money um, just to kind of cobble things together. In hindsight, I was not bringing in sort of enough of a skill set to balance out sort of my skill set. And I think as entrepreneurs, uh, a mistake they often make is really that lone wolf mentality. You know, I would know now and, and have told you probably a hundred times, like you no, no one starts a company alone, even if it looks like from the outside or like a movie, like someone's just mm -hmm. all of a sudden has a big company and no one else helped. Like it's just simply not the case. And so, you know, the, the two big mistakes I would say I made with the evolution of the company was uh, not, not bringing help in and also over customizing for uh, clients. So like every single person I worked with loved me because I did like exactly what they wanted. Yeah. But I think if I'd done 80% of what they wanted, they still would have been happy and I wouldn't have been able to productize what I was building. Yeah. But it ended up almost becoming like a consulting agency, if that makes sense, Got rather you. than like a software okay. product. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, how did you even like know to raise money and stuff? Were these doctors or hospitals that wanted this, that was giving you money to see something along or were these actual just investors that liked the idea? Uh, le less typical investors than now. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a couple of the docs and the contracts and then like an angel uh, basically mm. was, was the extent of fundraising with the first company. Uh, totally. Again, we, we could get into motif a little bit later and just how, how different sort of who you take money from and their level of expectations. But, um, you know, the model was everyone, everyone got their money back fairly early on. And so as a result, there wasn't a lot of pressure or oversight on me sort mm. of as the CEO of company to actually grow. Were you it, able which, to give them returns? Um, no, they got their money back. They got their we, money we back. pay money back. And then the idea was to grow the business and then oh, the gotcha. exit would happen. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it, it was a great experience. It uh, In 2008, during the financial crisis, uh, again, I had been in the middle of trying to expand and grow again. And the first thing that happens when you have a software that you're selling to like hospitals and things like that is, you know, there's belt tightening everywhere. There's financial crisis. So almost like within a one month span, every hospital I've been working with just crosses you off their budget line, right? Because yeah. they immediately go into damage control. It's like, if They're you're like, helping uh sick people now, yeah, we'll keep you on the budget. But if you're doing something that might save us money in three months from now or three years from now or five years from now, like yeah. it just immediately gets. And so within the span of a couple months, uh, yeah, I lost sort of my, my three big contracts and yeah, thing, things went downhill. 
pretty quick, pretty, pretty quickly. So this is uh, where my my knowledge of your story picked right. picked up, and I remember how terrified that made me when I first heard that story from you. By the way, because yeah. for, from my perspective, I didn't know that whole like human element to entrepreneurship yet. Right. So I was like, "What do you mean by that?" Okay, so he comes in. I'm I'm hearing Ian's story for the excuse me for the first time, and he goes, "I had this." tech medical company that organized these files in a way to solve this that and i raised money and and he's throwing these terms out and i'm like this guy is business this guy's got it going on and then he's like you know and uh then the recession came along my clients dried up and then that business uh that business collapsed and i was like a recession killed this smart man's business and i was like what's the timing of the next recession anyone can go down with it right and i was just like I don't know. It was just funny, but obviously that went away pretty quickly in the accelerators, just talking to the entrepreneurs that are like, we fail all the time. It's like literally what we do, what we do better than everyone else right. is, is fail. Uh, and then I started to realize that humans are entrepreneurs and it's not like, right. but that did scare me. And that's why I never forgot it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and I would say categorically, like most entrepreneurs I've worked with, so, you know, since then, obviously worked with with hundreds of entrepreneurs getting to where I am now. And people generally don't call you up and tell you like they fail. Like more often than not, someone will call and say like, hey, I'm working on something new. And I'll be like, what happened to the old thing? And I, it was the same way for me. You know, it took a few years before I could actually like own it and talk about it. But I think you need to do that to figure out like what you actually learned from that, right? Because anything can fail at any time for any reason. It can be because of you or without you, or for me, it was a combination of, of both. But um, yeah, I think being able to just kind of own it and figure out like not even how that wouldn't happen again. Cause I mean, anything could fail again, but just sort of what the journey is the destination, right? Is a quote I really like. And like, if you enjoy sort of the ride while you're on it along the way, it doesn't actually matter what the outcome is because the learnings you have along the way are super valuable. As uh, with your background, what is your take, uh, like scientifically, on coronavirus and like just, it's just so, like a hot take. sort of like sort of like hot take, <laughs> you know, like of of everything that's been going on? Because I've I've heard people talking about oh, like it's being played up a little bit because they're comparing it to just regular flu, being like it, this kills more people in, in right. a year than uh, coronavirus has. Right. And uh, I mean, like now that the buzz has kind of died down a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't know where it stands and like what they have under control or not, but yeah, right. just curious about hot take. Yeah, not a professional at all in this area anymore, but <laughs> I, I would say it's whether or not this ends up being a lot more severe or sort of gets under control. I think it's it's definitely a good warning sign of potentially things to come because we if you think about sort of like big diseases you hear about like in the, the past 100 years, 200 years that like killed a bunch of people and you think about how less connected the world was back then and then you think about like now, how many flights a day are going all yeah. around the world and the, the most concerning thing that I'd sort of read about this, learning about it was was the incubation period, right? Because that was always the issue with TB as well is like if someone's infectious but they don't have any symptoms, the longer that period is, the more dangerous it is, right? Because yeah. then you won't be able to self-quarantine or anything and so... The the one thing about this one in particular is the that quarantine period is quite long, so that oh they have you know, it for the, a while the cha- you have it for a while before you have sort of symptoms. So even like screening they're doing on people, you know, may not be catching things. And so, um, yeah, I mean it's it's too hard to say uh, what's going to happen long term. But if it's not this one, there's there's going to be something that comes up. And so that was actually a great of- hot take, though. By the way, okay, mm-hmm. all right. <laughs> 
No, like like that. Like I didn't know anything about incubation. That that was not right. at all what I was thinking about. That was like a perfect. I was like, okay. what could he possibly hot take on this? I was I was actually judging your question a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, what could he hot take? And then you nailed it with that uh, incubation period. But we, we did we did discuss it before. Okay. Not <laughs> uh, in, uh, in in university, I took a course called Zombie Apocalypse. Nice. Actually. Oh. Um, and it, it talked about all of these things like epidemics and stuff. Actually, actually one of the worst, one of the worst marks I ever got on an exam was, was, <laughs> it was in this course actually. Yeah. <laughs> you probably thought that was going to be a, a bird course. Yeah. I, uh, I went away for a weekend with, uh, with a couple friends and, uh, and I'm coming back and I had this exam on Monday and, uh, Sick note. <laughs> and I'm coming. Yeah. You know what? This was before I like started, uh, diving just, or I, I, did I ever, I don't know. I, I never, I never really was a sick note person, but, but anyways, um, but anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back on a Sunday and, uh, my, my buddy called me. He's like, I've got, uh, I've, I've got you free tickets to go see city in color tonight. My plan was like to come back and study, study. that night. And I was like, I was, I was thinking about on the phone. I was like, yeah, I'll see you there. Right. So, <laughs> so anyways, I, I went to the show, didn't get much studying in for this exam, wrote it the next morning. Um, 30 lower. Oh my God. <laughs> 17% on this exam. Was it, I, was it multiple choice? That's lower than a it was, uh, No, it was, it was like a written. Okay. Yeah. It was a written exam. Yeah. That is really bad. <laughs> it's bad, eh? Like, that, anyway, great. That's awesome. And uh, we'll, we'll just touch Corona once coming back to our storyline. So in terms of you think it's a good rehearsal for something bigger, deadlier, just kind of... Yeah, see how I mean, the system handles it i think so and just seeing how because with something like this you're kind of at the mercy of the countries who are least prepared right in some right. ways so we can think like oh we're all super safe and protecting canada but unless you're willing to cut off travel to like a hundred countries and do something crazy drastic you know um mm. there it, it is an issue so i i do think the the sars epidemic that we had in the early 2000s has, has really helped sort of canada as a whole sort of at least think this through and put these measures in place, which is why I think we've been doing sort of a good job so far. But whether or not it's this one or a year from now or 50 years from now, like at some point, I do think that... Um, a good old mega virus is... Yeah, there's, there's going to be things that come around that I think are, are going to be really hard. To so get your mega virus plans in order. Um, <laughs> if you have any property up north or in the countryside, a little stockpile of goods will do well there. Robbie, you will be fine because your mom keeps a bomb shelter of a cellar going. Yeah, one of my dad's nice. favorite jokes to make. Uh, every time I'm home is uh, how long? he guesses how long we can live in our house based off of how much food is in our cellar downstairs. He'll come by and be like, yeah, you know what? I think we could probably survive about four months down here, you know? <laughs> so to keep things moving, uh, we're now at, we're now at uh, the recession is hit. Yep. Ian's sitting there as clients are drying up, all right? You don't. Like, tell me what's going on in your mind. How, how's your money situation looking? What are you going to do? Are you thinking, I got to get a job right away or more debt, start a new business? What are you thinking? Yeah, good question. It's uh, It was definitely a tough time. That was my first real uh, bump in the face of, of kind of like a mental health issue as well. You know, started having quite a bit of anxiety. Um, and it wasn't even fully related. I, I guess it was, it was related to the business and sort of life and, and everything there. But, uh, luckily for me, by that time I'd, I'd met a great lady who I was going to uh, ask, what's your relationship? My girlfriend at the time, a uh, wife now, obviously who, uh, who sort of helped help through that time immensely, both personally and professionally. And so I did end up taking a job, uh, in Montreal for a year, uh, with the same doctors as well. So again, it felt like just sort of 
closing loop there, making sure everyone sort of stayed happy with my work. And, and my wife or girlfriend at the time had a year left in her PhD. We'd met in grad school. And so, yeah, just uh, took kind of a like a mental health year, I guess you could say, even though I was working a little bit, but just took some time to sort of reflect. And uh, how old were you at the time? I would have been uh, 26. Yeah. 26. So around similar, around there. similar to Robbie and me right now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best year, but that's actually coincidentally when I uh, really found fitness as like a mental health therapy for me. And that's when I first signed up for, started getting into like Ironman triathlons yeah, and things yeah. like that. And so it was kind of like one, one door closed and I immediately, you know, not immediately, but over the next few months sort of found a new passion and found a really way, you know, a way to help me get through that, which turned into uh, another way for me to sort of set goals and make sure I was getting out of the bed every day and like working towards something. Which one of our important. guests we had uh, two episodes ago, I think it was one of our buddies just did his first Iron. Yeah, Man. you guys sponsored him, right? Yeah, I exactly. Think, yeah, yeah. yeah the how do you do? With, uh, uh, he finished under his set goal. I think it was like what's what's a goal like twelve hours or something like. I don't know. That's probably 12 hours was the goal for my first yeah. Ironman I did as well. So. I think he did it in like 10 or something. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but they, they didn't have a swim. Oh. Yeah. So Too rough? No. No, there was, was something algae. with algae. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Poisonous algae in the water. And I don't, I actually felt, I don't know why I brought that up. You know what? The guy did an Ironman. No, you know what yeah. though? Even as the athletes, the swim all was almost canceled on my first because it was in Florida. So the swim was in the Gulf and mm -hmm. it, was, it was pretty choppy. And the day before they were going to make a call on it and they decided to let it go. But and, and how you feel a bit cheated, right? Because you've trained. He wanted it. Yeah. In yeah. his defense, he yeah. was like, he wants the yeah. challenge. The people at the Ironman are there for the challenge. They're not exactly. like dope, no swim. Exactly. Can't and then to... there's always an asterisk by it, right? Right. Like, oh, so so he's, like, he's like, I guess I got to do another one. Right there, you go. Um, how, how many? many uh, yeah, how many have you done? I've done uh, two halves and two fulls. So you got your tattoo? I got my tattoo. Yeah. What is nice. that a thing you get? Yeah. Like yeah, I think so. Does everyone? Oh, uh, I don't you, know if everyone. Now I feel like a bit of like a brand whore. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at the time, it was like I never worked so hard for something, and my, it was a full year of kind of training and and just you know grinding through and doing things you didn't really want to do i'm like you know what if i ever work that hard for something yeah. i'm gonna get it my yeah, my only so. appeal to iron man uh tattoos would be like maybe if everyone's doing this like spice it up a little bit you know what i mean <laughs> like evolve like like make it more like like rock starry that's just right. my personal opinion it, it does it's like totally like a corporate looking logo Right, which is. is like yeah. what you mean, like that brand whore feeling. Yep. Um. So you you start getting fitness to help with your, um, the, your your kind of transitional year. You are working at the hospital, and you meet your soon to be wife. What brings you completely out of that world back towards uh, London? Yeah, good question. So uh, it was kind of twofold. I'd uh, actually one thing I forgot to mention during undergrad, in addition to med school, I also had thought about uh, going to business school. At the time, again, was sort of all over the map, and mm. I I'd applied to the HBA program at uh, Western and got rejected at the time. And it had always kind of been like, shame on Western. Good enough. Um, shame. So you know what? I'd got out of that business. I'd realized, you know, as, as much as the job I had was okay at the time, like I'd sort of come to terms with the fact that I've had this experience. It's been this crazy, ro crazy roller coaster, but like, I, I definitely am never going to be like a long-term employee. Like I just, I'd figured that out. I'd had a bit of success. And so, um, my, my wife, uh, 
just so happened to land a job at uh, Western, a faculty job. And so oh. at the same time, I was thinking, you know what, I could go back to go back to school, do a business degree. I felt a lot of the mistakes I'd made with my first company were because I didn't really have like any formal business training at all. And it just sort of tried a bunch of stuff and some worked and some didn't. But I'm like, you know what, if I really, you know, get a little bit more formalized knowledge here, I'll be in a much better position when sort of that next opportunity comes along, which I, I knew it eventually would. And so, yeah, in 2007, we moved back to London. My, my wife for the first time, she's from uh, Northern Ontario. And so, yeah, we Moved to London, bought a house, uh, and I. Uh, she started at Western, and I went back to Ivy. So you guys bought a house at what age? Twenty-eight. Yeah. Shit, guys. That's like so. Yeah. Far out of my <laughs> mind right it's, now. You know what though? I mean, it's it's all context. Like our first house was two hundred and thirty thousand dollars for a brand new house in London, and we had like a thirty thousand dollar down payment. Yeah. Like it well, that's still thirty all, more like, thousand Toronto. dollars than I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, no. Okay. So you, you guys buy a house. Uh, so you had some savings from working and she, was she working as well doing your PhD? Yeah. I mean, what you, you get paid when you do a PhD. I mean, it's not a, a big salary, but we were pretty frugal yeah. and, uh, saved our money. So she just used her PhD money. Yeah. Saved much. it. Yeah. Okay. You guys get a house. Um, she's working at Western. You're in the, you're now in the Ivy yeah, um, what's it called? HBA or sorry, uh, MBA. Um, MBA. IV MBA. Yeah, uh, HBA is the one that rejected them. Right. Yeah. Sorry, the HBA. <laughs> You're in the IV MBA. <laughs> was that a bit of a culture shock? Because I know undergrad at Western is like night and day to the Ivy program. It it was. Uh, I think so. I was thinking about this actually because I knew we'd probably be going through this on the way here, and and you know I was quite a bit older than everyone else in the program. Most people I think go back, especially for the full time uh, MBA, as opposed to trying to do it part time. Uh, you know, most of the class was kind of 26, 27. And by this time I was, uh, early thirties. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think by waiting and having that gap between undergrad, like you really appreciate school a lot more when like, you feel like you don't have to be there. So like this time was on my own terms. I'd made the decision. I was again, going into debt <laughs> again for, for another time to sort of pursue something. But sorry, can I just pause you real yeah. quick? Um, so you, you said you got a house at 28, but you're in your early thirties. Was there, is there, am I missing it, it may have been 29 or maybe off a year or two. Okay. So we moved to London. I worked for a, I did for a work year. for a okay. year as Sorry, well. I was just confused. London, no problem. Mm -hmm. And then, so you quit that job, took on debt to do a full-time master's. That's right. Okay, yeah. cool. So okay. I think, yeah, MBA was 30, 31, somewhere, okay. somewhere in there. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean, no, I just, no. I was confused. It's all good. Um, <laughs> so you're now, you're, you're you were talking about how you feel, um, it's, it's better going to school when you don't feel obligated to be there and you're on your own terms. Yeah, I guess with my undergrad, I sort of felt more, although I guess it was my decision at the end of the day, you know, I th think a lot of us sort of feel like, well, we, there's either parental pressure, yep. some reason to be there. Society. And you've also had to make a decision on like your program and maybe, so th this time it was more like, I know what I want to do. I know it's a lot of money, but it, it's going to be a good investment. I need to switch gears a bit. And like I was there because I wanted to be there. And so as a result, I think I got a lot out of the experience for sure. Um, and it was, it was great. I, you know, um, I was considering part-time, but I'm glad I went for the sort of that immersive experience. Um, what, one of the themes I wanted to bring up today as well is, is I think side hustling and entrepreneurship is, is overrated to be honest with you. I think you really need to be all in on something to really figure out if it's going to happen or not faster. You know, if the whole idea is to sort of figure things out quick, fail fast, do everything fast, I think if you side do things, whether it's education or businesses or whatever, like you don't really get sort of that full experience or, or immersion into something. And, uh, yeah, so that was, a, an intense year for sure. Uh, made a lot of great friends in that program and, uh, 
learned a ton and it really sort of positioned me well to, um, I think coming out of that program the last few months, I had met a couple of profs who I'd got kind of close with during the program. And a lot of them are very entrepreneurial. And so as one of the few guys in the program who is going to be a sticking around London when I was done, which is, is not that common for the program, but also wanted to own a business or get into entrepreneurship versus kind of eye banking, consulting your yeah. typical kind of Ivy path. Um, a few of them took a shine to me and we started sort of looking for some businesses to buy and, and get some stuff going at the end of that program. I have a question. So you've referenced these kind of mentory-ish type people along your journey, or at least older or at least advanced, more advanced yep. in their careers. And you talk about these relationships you have with them and how you've always been this kind of person that found yourself in a position to be the person they want to partner with or, or right. for them to hire you later. Are you a networky guy? Like, was that part of getting making those connections do you reach out to them were you involved like how did you kind of become that person to these older mentory type people that's a good question i wouldn't say i'm like a huge extrovert but i think i'm reliable i do what i say i'm gonna do and i i do work on my network with i guess sort of like limited people so i'm not that interested in having like this crazy broad network where like everyone knows me but maybe much more find a few people who you really connect with and make sure you have like a deeper relationship with them and worry less about sort of spreading it so wide because no one can keep up a crazy broad network and, and that sort of thing. And, and I talk about mentoring a lot actually in front of classes and stuff. And one thing I'll say is you feel around that age as well. Cause everyone says like, Oh, you have to give value and it's gotta be this two way yeah. street. But I think when you're younger in kind of a mentor mentee relationship, like giving value isn't even like, figuring out a way to be an expert to the other person. It's more just like staying in touch with them, showing them your interest in what they're doing and you want to keep them up to speed in what you're doing because clearly there's there's a common interest. And just even having those touch points every few months is enough to sort of build a network, even if there's you know this perceived power differential or whatever. Were you kind of choosing the, the guys you found or, or girls you found interesting, these professors, or like, like was that more of like they took a shine to you because of interest? Like... Uh, kind of too. I, again, I think it, it, they were both, uh, both of sort of my guest core mentors from that program were entrepreneurship profs. Mm -hmm. So it's naturally gravitated towards sort of something I was already interested in. And again, I think, uh, because of the fact I was, I was sticking around London, I'd had a company, you know, I don't think in their eyes, I don't think, you know, a lot of people like me sort of came into the right. Ivy program very often. They weren't looking for, Again, the iBanking consultant yep. Toronto track. And so, yeah, I think it just was kind of, we hit it off and uh, yeah. I think that's a cool point about value as well. It's something I definitely struggle with when people say, get a mentor, get a mentor, like find a mentor. And I'm like, oh, like what do you offer these guys? Stuff like that. Like you said, they the mentor, it's like... It's like when you give to charity, how you, you get as good, about as good as a feeling as that money could do yeah, for someone right. as well. It's like there is a value to mentoring. And all the mentor wants to see is that you're taking that advice and using it and you keep in touch. It's not about you giving the mentor like, no, like equal, of value <laughs> of, yeah, like yeah. equal career value to them. Um, that was a cool point. Totally. And, and you know, something else that... Uh, I, I'm quite passionate about that topic as well, because again, I've, I've got to, and I've told you as well, you know, there's a few people I'm still closely in touch with that from the Propel program, because I'm, I'm also a big believer in, you know, having one or two really good mentors is way more valuable than having like 15 people who don't have a vested interest in, in anything going on. And so I think a lot of people setting up entrepreneurship programs, 
you know, they try and have as many mentors as possible and have the startups meet with all of them. And my philosophy is always like, find a good fit. And then that that's your person, right? And it's, if you have someone who's, you know, 10, 15 years ahead of you, a, a bit established, who's willing to go to bat for you, make intros for you, that's actually not that easy to find uh, versus all the people who are willing to stick their hands up and say like, I'm going to be a mentor because a lot of people don't even deliver on that or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And so I, I, again, yeah, I think in this world of kind of LinkedIn and like trying to be this thought leader and have as many connections as you can, I still think there's a ton of value in those more intimate, less scalable things. I think also sometimes there's, there's a bit of a feeling of, uh, um, of, you feeling like, oh, like, why is this person doing this for me or whatever? Or like, you feel right. like a little bit of uncomfortableness in some ways. You're like, oh, like, why would they want to be invested in like what I'm doing? But, um, well, I have that feeling. With, yeah. Even with Ian, like I, um, well, first let's just say what Propel, he, he mentioned Propel. Propel was the name of the, uh, entrepreneurship program and accelerator at Western that he eventually ran. So we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, and that's how I'm connected with him. So with you, um, and I consider you a mentor because you were actually placed in that position when we got into the accelerator with our business. But then through after the business, you helped me get into a subsequent accelerator that you weren't even the main person involved with. And then we just kept in touch and I stayed around the scene. With you, even as with that, all those reasons to ask you for help and and everything, I still never know what to ask or <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I still feel I'm That's like, fair. why, what do I, why, why would he, all these right. impostery kind of feelings. Yeah. And I'd say your mentorship more is from how you like act. I like observe right. you and I see what you offer and I take these offerings and it's, I don't know how to like flip my mind into like that more like ASCII, like, right. And I just don't know if I'll ever get there, but I don't know what it's like from your perspective when you see like a, a guy like me who you're trying to help, who you offered right. that olive branch to and just being like, I don't know, just doing what right. I've been doing. <laughs> like, Yeah, I it, it is that. I mean, it's, I, I get asked a lot of things from a lot of people like daily and like most people I don't respond to or don't get, <laughs> because again, there's just not enough time in the day, but I it's it's just much more about cultivating that relationship. So if you do have an ask, you know, you could make it, but every, you know, there's certain people who anytime they contact you, it's like an ask, can you do this? Can you do that? And that, that gets old after a while. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, the key is really just maintaining that regular touch point and not just only using a time to reach out to someone when you need something. Right. If that well, makes sense. Yeah. That's why but it, it's hard to do, right? Like yeah. everyone sort of knows these things like stay in touch. And that's why I'm a proponent of saying that's a lot more manageable. If you think about one or two people versus, I think a lot of younger people's view of, of networking, that sort of thing is like trying to do that for like 20 people, which is just, it's just not going to happen. Right. So I, I think also one thing that I've been doing more recently is just, uh, when I think of someone or like that I haven't spoken to in a while or like that I should reach out Blake, to uh, Blake Fleischhacker's model. Like immediately I just like, I send a text or like, you know, just, just send something, uh, small, just like a quick note. Right. Totally. And it yeah, works to keeping, uh, keep people even just, you read something and it reminds you of something you just quickly, that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Just even, even simple things like that. Um, and, and, you know, from my perspective now, I obviously have both, both mentors and, and mentees and like now I'm, I'm, I have a vested interest in, in you and your success. And so now like I, so when you ask me something now, it just feels different. Cause it's more of like a, 
yeah, I, w- I want you to succeed. I believe in you and your ability to make things happen. And again, it gets a little bit into the propel, but, uh, you know, with startups, we were much more interested in picking people than the specific business ideas they walked in the door with, because, you know, you look at the numbers, the chances are it might not be that one that is successful or whatever, but if you look more towards the people and their actual traits and their abilities and their, their passion and the fact that they're willing to give you the time of day and tell you when things are both failing and succeeding, that's when you really start to take notes of like, all right, there's these eight kids who I really want to see do well in life. I think they've got everything it takes to be successful. It might be this company. It might be the next one, but I now have a vested interest in seeing them be successful. I think a lot of people won't be able to appreciate like how cool that is. Uh, there's so many people out there that would not see the same value in people. They would look at the companies, they'd look at the numbers and they think it's in their best business sense to be that brash business, you like tough love type of person. Right. Um, and as you said, with the, the vested interest, as someone who doesn't ask for help, I find I learn from you just by when you say stuff like that, like, cause you would say stuff like that at Rappel and I go, Okay, I'd learn from that. Then when we meet up for a beer or we get lunch and I ask you about all the stuff you're doing, then I learn, I'm like, okay, this is what Ian does. Like, you know, this is, right. and then you learn about what I'm doing just by shooting the shit. You're like, how's the band? And I'm like, oh, this and that. Right. You go, oh, I know somebody. So it's like, as much as I don't know what to ask, that keeping in touch, that is is enough to, to get that kind of value and the vested interest really more just comes from you just want like your friends to do well as well. And if you're in a position that's elevated from one of your friends, which technically is kind of close to mentorship, yep. you want to help that person out. And it's not that that person wouldn't help you out. Like if I had something that could help your, it's re- unlikely, <laughs> but like that could help your current company, like maybe giving it as many shout outs as we could when it's right. ready, I'll, I would do that. And I think right. that's really what it, mentorship in the best form is, is a friendship where one friend has a bit more to offer in one category than the other friend, but gets, you know, just gets value out of seeing that person succeed. So propel where I learned all these things from you, where this relationship started. How does, like, how do you, did you think of that? Did they, did they have an idea that they wanted to do this? Like, how did you go from your MBA to propel? Oh, did you start propel? Uh, Western, were you? Yeah, so the- I'll, I'll quickly go through that story. Um, so after my MBA, I, I'd been looking around for a couple businesses, uh, a few things sort of fell through. And meanwhile, you know, the clock's ticking, graduating, have another student loan now, which Ivy now, you know, that's <laughs> a hefty a, loan. It's like having <laughs> a second mortgage, but again, worth it, not passionate at all, was one of the best things I've ever done with my life was go back to school. Um, but yeah, so I landed at an organization called uh, Tech Alliance in London, which is kind of like the Mars in Toronto of London. So okay. really, if I couldn't get a company right away, this was sort of the next best thing because basically my full-time job was to help people start technology companies. I'd had one. It didn't really feel like a real job. Uh, so it was a great landing place to sort of have a bit of stability in my life. We uh, were just thinking about starting a family and all these sorts of things. And so... Um, yeah, spent four years there, learned a ton, worked with hundreds of technology companies. What was your exact role? Uh, I started as a business analyst and okay. then became the vi- vice president of startup services. So basically running the- You had upper management written all over you, Upper eh? management, yeah. I hated the admin side of the role, but every <coughs> single day there'd be passionate, talented people coming in our door trying to, trying to start something, right? Taking risks, that really appealed to me. And so got to see a few companies really start from the ground up and, and take off significantly through that role. 
and then yeah, it started sort of getting to the, the end of my line there, just in terms of uh, personal learning and, and wanting to keep going. And the opportunity came up in 2014 uh, at Western. Uh, they had uh, got a government grant uh, through the Ontario government. They were sort of funding every university in Ontario to start these accelerator incubator programs. And so, yeah, when that uh, opportunity arose, I, I applied and was lucky enough to, to sort of get the job. There'd been kind of a smaller USC-run entrepreneurship club on campus up until that time. And so the job was really coming in and, and starting from scratch as the university, but really being able to leverage and build on what a kind of the students had done already grassroots for the first couple of years mm -hmm. uh, with that organization. And um, yeah, that, that it was awesome four years at Western because it felt a bit like a startup. Like it was starting, for, we had to build a brand, we had to build a following, we had to bring Were you the head space. of this team? I was the head of the team, yeah. So got to build the team, which uh, was also felt entrepreneurial because one of the things I think about having a job or getting stuck in a position where you are inheriting a team, it's mm -hmm. much different than being able to build your own team, right? Especially as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And especially in a university environment where, you know, it's it's unionized and things just can't happen like they can in, in sort of the private yeah. sector. And so got to go in, build a team and uh, yeah, had a great four years there sort of uh, launching the incubator and then subsequently the accelerator program, which you came in. and Which blows my mind how quickly that came about and how, how like, my first experience with it was like this bustling entrepreneurship center at Western that I thought had been around forever that I just didn't right. know about. Um, so you, you, in my opinion, you accomplished a lot in four years. Uh, you, there was a lot of, I feel like a lot of pressure riding on that too, because it was really Western's kind of test ground in entrepreneurship, depending on how it would look. Does Ivy run it? Does, which do, mm -hmm. I remember all these issues you had to face. Who's going to run entrepreneurship, right? Who's ownership to eventually they're now like that. Is that entrepreneurship building being built yet? I believe it is. Yeah. I believe it's being built, but yeah, I mean, I think it helped that I, I, the thing I, the strengths I think I brought into the role were that I was an Ivy grad and a Western grad. So I could sort of speak from both worlds and, and it was important that it sort of be a whole school wide thing, not just owned by the business department. Cause a lot of entrepreneurs walk in the door who aren't from Ivy as, as we all know. Um, social side, baby. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, and you know, I think it's, the, the time was right. Like my first year, we just got into as many classrooms as we could. That was kind of the goal. It was me and just, I hired one other person. We had a small team and you'd was go it, into- Was it one of the ones that I knew or was it- It was Sam. Yeah, Samantha. Okay, cool. Um, but we would go into classes and just say, who's either running a company, wants to run a company, or like is thinking about that versus actually getting a job. And like almost half of the Whoa. hands in these classes were going up. So, I mean- I'll take a bit of credit for it, but I mean, I think the time was also right on campus. It was just during this whole startup-y sort of shift going on that more and more students were thinking about it. And the number one value of the entire thing is the physical space itself. Like, I just can't yeah. say enough about the value of having like-minded people. You know, when I try to start sort of my first company and even dabbling around in undergrad, if you can't find other people who have like a similar mindset, it makes it a lot more difficult to kind of normalize that behavior, right? So to be able to have this room where every day, these kids would come in and they'd work on their ideas. They'd meet one another. Some would fail. They'd join teams and they'd yep. make stronger teams together. It is single-handedly sort of the most important thing was sort of that face-to-face -face interaction and working environment. My entire entrepreneurial foundation was built at Propel. The confidence. Like, Rob, you always reference all these things that I have. Like, okay. you're like, oh, you have this, this confidence in these deals or like this like sure-mindedness. Yeah, this yeah. like. 
before Propel, I didn't know Propel existed. I'd run a few haphazard businesses with friends. Mm -hmm. And you talked about doing labor when you were younger. I ran a college pro painting franchise with a friend. And I literally backbreaking labor. Like I fucking destroyed my back <laughs> that summer. And I remember there's nothing like labor to show the clear bones of a business. Right. Boss money, quotes, client money, who gets what, yep. cost. It's all right there. Who's doing the painstaking work for 12 bucks? Who's making the 500 bucks for for just booking the gigs. Yep. And uh, I remember that changed my mind. Okay, cool. Ran a car detailing franchise um, for a summer. Made no money, but had a good time running, operating, learned how to like keep things in stock. Like right. there's some basic stuff and uh, still didn't really, I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur. Wouldn't, doesn't, didn't really know what that meant. Yep. Um, hit my head, causing me to do a little bit of a career um, uh, pause. Guys start wrist and rye. And I say, hey, I've run a few businesses uh, and let me just do something. Introduce me to Propel. Introduce me to a world of entrepreneurs. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get into this program. Uh, you apply. They, they have like a working space. Propel has like a working space where you can just, as any entrepreneur, work in, have access to the resources. But in the summer, they offer a program where you can apply to get money and actually uh, mentorship and direct uh, guidance throughout an entire summer. It was in that program where you brought in all those mentors and I, and I learned that entrepreneurs are people that just fail mm -hmm. and fuck up. And some get successful at 18, some get successful at 58, some get successful in this business, some get... And I learned that it's not a flat trajectory to success. For sure. And sometimes it's a spiked oscillating nightmare sometimes mm -hmm. it's a deep you sometimes it's a pure hockey stick to and i just learned that no matter what the path of success was so different and all these people were just normal people and i was like i am one of these people right. i can do this <clears throat> there's no i know uh self-confidence issues anymore working with all like you said people failing people succeeding seeing that the difference sometimes was just timing yeah just a, a simple tweet like i just just seeing this like carnage field of like entrepreneurs was the difference and being able to say to my parents, I got money, I'm in an accelerator, legitimized totally. my yep. position socially enough that I could explore. Like right. you said, Riss yep. and Ryan might not have been the rocket ship that got me there, but it was definitely the ship that let me through like the sea of like tumultuous time as a young entrepreneur for sure and it kept me safe and it, it gave me a vessel to work on stuff and try things and fail safely yeah and, and that's why rob i have all this now and that's why when my parents say you're in the wrong field and yeah. all this stuff and i go you're wrong because i know all these people and i can do it and it's gonna happen <laughs> someday um, so you're to blame okay in, a, in, the, best, in the best way that. whenever they grill you now you, uh, you point fingers at Ian. <laughs> yeah. So you talked about some concepts, like you said, all or nothing kind of feeling. And uh, I, I want to see if there's any like hot t tips from your like okay. years of running this student facing young entrepreneur carnage field, like I said. Yep. Uh, some hot tips for people out there, <clears throat> regardless of life stage that you notice just from like observation. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the first one goes back to uh, something I already said, which is I, I think you can side hustle to a point, but I think if you're trying to, you know, and it's totally fair in this day and age to keep an income while you're trying to get something off the ground, I, I totally get it. 
but I, I do think you need to be honest with yourself and set clear timelines that things either need to happen by a certain day or you're either stopping or you're going all in on it because even for me with, with motif, which I, I think we'll get into in a minute is there, there's probably no way I can say the same thing that has happened. now would have happened if I tried to keep the propel gig and just sort of got it going Side and, and position myself. Yeah. Like I had, I had to, you know, reconvince my wife to jump back into the startup world, quit my job, cut off my salary to actually get like that fire in the belly to say, I'm working 12 hours a day on this for the next few months while we get this off the ground, because otherwise it's just too easy to not do it. Mm -hmm. So I think in this day and age, like the, the side hustle is something that's sort of promoted a lot. Everyone sort of seems to have, you know, seems to have one or think that that's like the right path. And I do just sort of think there's a little bit of a danger in that in terms of not, and, you know, understanding everyone has bills and you, you got to live. Um, oh, we got but, bills. Yeah. But anything you can do. <laughs> we also got a lot of side hustles. <laughs> yeah. But I think what you guys have done though, is you've positioned where you want to be as your main hustle and your side hustle is now like. Just income. To live, which, right. which I think is the right approach if you really want to succeed because you now have the fire in the belly of, of not wanting, you know, that lifestyle to continue forever. And so that would be one, uh. Yeah. Again, the other, the other is, is, you know, most entrepreneurs who came in our door probably aren't still running the companies that they came in the door with. And that that's totally fine. Um, has there been a bunch of successful companies or startups that have come through propel for, for yeah. sure as well. And I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's tons of successes as well, but I, I just think, you know, one of the things I saw a lot, uh, and helped, uh, your company with, and a lot of other companies was, you know, I think people, especially with sort of their first real company, get really caught up in ownership and like yeah. who owns <laughs> what, and it can really just drive you down this crazy hole where if you think like, even where like Motif is now or where my company was a year or two in, like you're still in like the first, when you're an incubator accelerator, you're still in like the first inning of, if it's going to be a big company, you're literally in the infancy stage. And so you know, no, very, very few people in the history of time have made millions of dollars on their very first business, right? So if you flip your mindset and say, I'm using it as a learning experience, I want to own obviously enough of this company to stay motivated, but understanding that you need to surround yourself with people who can come in and take pieces of that company to do mm -hmm. what they do well. And it's a really hard mindset because a lot of people get into entrepreneurship because they want to like own things. Yeah. Equity's and, overrated, dude. Cash flow yeah. is the new. <laughs> yeah. Even their, even their ideas though, right? Like students would come in and want me to like sign an NDA before I even talked to them. Yeah. Shut up. And you know, <laughs> sorry. I used to say to them though, you know, if you can share with me in two minutes what you're working on and think that I have the time, passion, energy, and skill set to take what you just told me and like beat you to market, <laughs> then you don't really have like that high potential of an idea. You know what I mean, it's just... It's what, but it is hard when it's sort of your first times going through yeah, that experience. But so I just think, you know, that was your plan all along. Eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get, get, get in this position ideas, of power yeah. and propel and I, steal all the students' ideas. He just had a ideas. list at home of all the best ideas. <laughs> Motif was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But the, in general, so that, that's sort of my last piece of advice is if you have something you're passionate about, you should share it as widely, unless you have like a patent. Yeah. You should share it with as many people as will listen to you and not be worried about any of that because the benefits you might get of meeting a potential partner or a customer or co-founder versus someone stealing what you're working on is just, it's not even on the same level. And so, yeah, I'd encourage anyone with an idea or passion, oh, similar to, to what you guys are doing this, right? Own what you're doing, be public about it and share it with as many people as possible and uh, good things will happen. 
I think that's fair because one thing I've learned from being in the game is that not there's actually a really tiny percentage of people that can execute an idea in in the uh, an unconfined space, like without the guidelines of jobs and and stuff. So it's like people are worried about people stealing ideas. I'm for Rist and Rye. I've literally offered this business to any right. interested person <laughs> that wants to uh, take an already established business and if they have sales or an interest in jewelry, because that's what I'm looking for, yep. there's a whole business behind them. I can operate it for them for a while or indefinitely or teach them how to operate it, but take it right for anyone that right. can make it money. And it's just like, that's that's all the IP. Everything that anyone would try to protect is available and there's just a lack of people that can actually execute. There's been tons of people that have come to the door and said, I got it all. Yep. Maybe five to 10 people and n nothing. You're, you're totally right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, how many people came in our doors with like a bracelet or jewelry company before Rist and Rye came in? Like quite a lot, right? But yes. it's at the end of the day, you're I, in my position on the other side of the table, you're evaluating the person, their ability to execute and their ambition because tons of people have ideas and very few people actually even get as far as you've got Rist and Rye today, which is like have revenue, have yeah. product, get it out there. Like even that in itself is just a huge barrier. So, uh, so yeah, definitely. I think that's a good piece of advice. You mentioned something. Oh, and the ownership thing is hilarious. Like people, one of our company's issues was fighting over. And when I say fighting, it was, uh, me kind of defending myself over, uh, CEO who gets CEO. I'm like, there's two employees. There's two people at this company, man. It's like, we can be, we can be grand, uh, astronaut of this company. Like you can name it, whatever you want. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's no meaning. I was like, what work am I doing? This work? Great. That's the work typically assigned to this role. What work are you doing? That work? Great. That's typically assigned to the marketing guy. Let's just make it easy. He was like, no, co-CEOs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and then you said about uh, partners finding someone to work with. Entrepreneurs, I find typically, if they're anything like me, and I don't know about you, is it's a weird like fallacy where you think you can do everything better because right. you care more. And as we said, it's really hard to find other people that have that. I think one of the guys in our business, I, I really like Thomas's, you remember Thomas, mm -hmm. yep. his work ethic. And I, I, I remember really f seeing that genuine partnership and that's what I found valuable in the company. And I just don't know how entrepreneurs get around that kind of like, I am the guy. When do they let go? When do they, like, like if when partners are so hard to find, like, is there intermediate partners? Like, what do you do? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, I mean, it's, that's probably the hardest question of starting a company is like how to build the right team because choosing your first three or four people you're going to work with is literally going to make or break everything, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, I think it's a combination of just being a really good judge of character and also of understanding your own skill set and not picking friends to start your company with, but picking people with complementary skill sets. And again, it's one of those things I think everyone knows on the outset, but it's always way more fun to start something with a buddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so ideal case, your buddy has a complimentary skill set, but oh, oh. it's okay. I think I think you know what I'm getting at though, is, yeah. is really, you know, it's finding someone and who can actually fill those skill gaps so that 
you don't actually have to front a lot of money. So one of our strategies at Propel was like, how do we help you build a team? So you actually get as far along as possible before you need money. Cause a like pre-seed money is really hard to get. You're relying kind of on government grants, which can tend to be all over the place. Um, but if you can get a little, even a little bit of traction, even if you're still pre-revenue, but if you can assemble a solid team and just get something done, then you're going to start to attract the attention of angels and, and other investors as well, because they're looking for the team as well. So with Robbie and I, uh, you mentioned like starting business with friends and stuff like that. It's tough for uh, a creative because Robbie and I create this product, which is our music really well. Yep. So uh, we're a creative par- par- uh, partner. Business-wise, we probably equal that of one motivated like person trying to make it in music. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we are... Our skills are so much intertwined. Uh, it, it, so like we find ourselves uh, at a bit of an impasse where like, I just want company. I don't want to do stuff alone. Right. Uh, so on the business side, I try to drag Robbie into all these things that I've experienced with when realistically we might be better off finding that manager, that business partner. And and you know what I mean? Like it is it's it is the toughest part. It's been the reason why... I couldn't find new partners easily with Rest and Rye, but when it clicks, it clicks. It really yep. does. Uh, with the female jewelry, I'm I'm seeing those synergies, and I'm thinking that's something we have to turn our focus to. Rob, we have all these synergies in creative, in the mm-hmm. band, mm-hmm. in making this music, but on the business side, we are two halves of a brain. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> like uh, totally, but you but you know we also we've got an awareness, like a bit of a self-awareness yeah. of what needs to be happening right. and what should be going on also. But, uh, I mean, we tend to fall short of those well, expectations. You see how we complement each other in a creative set. Yep. Like this, he asks different questions and me his brain. Like, this is why we work well together. Right. Then we go and we sit down in business and I'm all business, Trav. And Robbie's playing guitar. <laughs> and then I'm just like, we're like trying to figure out how to equal the output of yep of two business people and it's not, it's just not where we're at. Right. So I guess maybe we can put that out there a bit more, like you said, like, uh, yeah, I think so. And I mean, even at this stage, it's, you speak about sort of startups and like, even sort of, if we consider you guys a startup right now, you know, you don't have a lot of money to sort of even engage with professional services like lawyers and accounts and that sort of thing to even help structure. So it, it is tough because at the end of the day, you guys have to wear like multiple hats and cobble things as long as you can. But I do think that the choice isn't spend all these thousands of dollars on all these things, a business person or like nothing. Like there's always in-betweens that you can explore, even starting through mentors and, and things like that and services and cloud-based platforms and monthly thing. You know what I mean? I try and get mm-hmm. a lot of startups I work with on like a $10 a month, just accounting platform, just to have it and start setting up the processes. Cause trying to do it later on is always a pain in the ass with taxes and things like that. So yeah, but it's, it, it is definitely a lot more rewarding experience if you can really just focus on the things you love and then find a way to get help for all those other things. And, and there are music incubators uh, within the city, they're a little more few and far between. Dude, I'm incubated. That, that, but, <laughs> but, but, but it just, it seems that they don't have it quite as figured, at least to my knowledge from the ones I know about, they don't have it quite as figured out as, you know, like going, you know, yeah. you have the business idea. Okay. They're going to help you develop it. They're going to like give you money right. and stuff. It's like just one off Someone the top of my you head. Pay you have to, to pay to be in this program. <laughs> and then, you know, the court, like looking at the course and, uh, 
uh, the syllabus and everything that they take you through, it seems like it's kind of knowledge that you already possess, you know, just right. from us being like, uh, you know, at our age and uh, the stuff that we've experienced already. Yeah. I would say, I mean, one thing that stands out that you guys are doing that not, not everyone does. And again, I go back to sort of the bracelet example, how many were there? Like a lot of people try and start bands, mm. but how many people have sort of done what you've guys done, position your lives the way, keep putting yourselves out there. And over time, I think, again, it can't be like an endless journey where you guys are like 40 and still trying to make it. But there's a window now where I think like people will start to notice that you're actually like committed and into something because they sort of see that you're sacrificing other areas of your life. And again, it's another thing sort of mentors or investors or potential managers, whoever would look for is, you know, there's there's all this noise out there, all these people trying to do the same thing. But again, back to your point, like who's actually executing on that and proving in a way that they're sacrificing in order to do that. Those are sort of big things that I think help people stand out. That's sure. something we've noticed with the podcast in particular yeah. is that, you know, this is now our, our third year of doing it. And it's our 90th episode. Nice. Our, our, yeah, this is our 90th episode. Exactly. Um, that when we ask people now, um, people are more, uh, seem more interested or take us more as legitimate. Plus, also, we get more people reaching out right. to wanting to be on the show and stuff because they like we've been around doing it consistently. For sure. And it's yeah. not so much like, oh, you have a podcast, you know, like you put out like three episodes last right. year. Like, do you really? Yeah. No. Yeah. You guys are, you are really committed, committed and yeah. you're doing it and you set the time up every week and you do it. And yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. For so, sure. So with you going from running Propel and which I thought was the dream job, by the way, like you were just living life. You had, you had working at Western is fun. Mm -hmm. You were just hanging out with all of us. You obviously had work to do as well, but yep. you were just like hanging out with these businesses, like just sprinkling this advice here and there. Like I would enjoy that personally. The team was great. Uh, you kept active because you had all these facilities at Western. It's at, universities are a great place to work. They are. They just they have are. everything. Oh yeah. They are great. Yeah. Especially if you're sort of not so far removed from school that you still can really relate to, to the students and remember sort of what it was like to be on campus and just the excitement of, of that. I, I loved it. Yeah. It's uh, for me after four years though, I just given my first ride, I'd always felt like I had unfinished business and, and I sort of, you know, around the time I was, uh, I was turning 40, my, my version of a midlife crisis wasn't like sports car riding. I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to like take a crack at this again. And so one of the important things I did uh, was I, I mentally got in the mindset of like, I was going to leave and start a company before I even knew what the company was going to be. I well, just, you were saying that to me. Yeah. And how far in advance was this? Uh, probably about six months before. I just, you know, again, things had sort of got up and running and propel. I tend to be like really good at like building things and ideas. And then once all the processes are in place and they're running, I tend to sort of look for the next thing. And uh, there was tons of exciting stuff happening at Western. Again, great place to work. But uh, just quickly, yeah. did you gain as much from mentoring and working at Propel uh, that you can find applicable to what you're doing right now as much as like people uh, or kids or students that were in the program? Sure. That's a good question. I'd say even more because, you know, they were working on their own with their heads down. I got to sort of bird's eye view work with a hundred companies, you keep your finger on the pulse of like all these different industries and things happening. And so, yeah, again, another tip would be, you know, if, if your listeners are interested in starting a business or entrepreneurship, but they either don't have the money or like the idea, getting a job at a place like Mars or an accelerate incubator, just to see, even like consulting is actually a really good gig for just 
seeing problems companies are having. And then if you're entrepreneurial enough, you know, I have a lot of friends who worked as consultants after the MBA yeah. who just saw these big companies were working on these problems and thinking like these companies are never actually going to internally be able to solve that because they're too big and too slow. Yeah. So they left, started a company and then eventually like sold it to the bigger company or became a customer. And so, yeah, it was, I learned just as much from the startups as I was able to, to sort of dispense out. It's a, it's a great spot to land and ultimately how I met my, my co-founder and launched in, into the new gig. So you were talking, I feel like even before that, like direct messaging, like I am going to leave soon, your, your thought you always kind of explained to me was eventually you like you, it seems like you always knew that this was once it's ready, you're you were going to hand it off to someone and, yep. and do your own thing. Um, and then I guess, yeah, maybe at the six month point, you started to be like, okay, I think it's ready. Things are flowing good. You'd figured out some like major rela relationship issues and like management issues that you needed to work through. Who's going to take care of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Where did that, before we move on, where did that end up landing at Western? In a great place. Yeah. I think it's because, uh, everyone was, was good about it. And because I think I was upfront in terms of just, looking for something else. And that had been my baby for the past four years. And so I also didn't just want to be like, peace out, two weeks notice, yeah. starting something new. Uh, I felt a strong affinity to wanting to keep that going really successfully as well. And so, yeah, it uh, it's kind of hard to sort of like approach people and say like, you're moving on before you even know what that's going to be. But I think that if you do it in the right way and people know your heart's in the right place, um, it, it can't really, people just like when you're honest with them. Right. And, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So, so it's running well, it's in good hands, running well, good yeah. hands. Yeah. They've got the, the accelerator is running full time now. So cool. the program you participated in, in the summer, you also guinea pigs. yeah, you guinea pigged, uh, we got it up and going and, uh, now year round, uh, any three terms, if you're a startup at Western or an alumni of Western who's starting a company and wants to get some support, office space and a great group of mentors. I'm still involved with the program, uh, as a mentor. As well. Uh, yeah, where, yeah. I, where I can be, where time permits. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's in a good spot and, uh, they're getting a new building and, and lots of cool stuff happening there. So, so, so continue telling us about motif yeah. and what's going on there. Sure. So got kind of in the mental mindset. I, I was going to make this jump. Uh, I think I actually heard you. I, I think it was with health and talking a little bit about like crypto and stuff on here a few weeks ago. Yeah. Crypto dabbled. just embarrassed me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause you were, you told me about Ripple yeah, yeah. and I got rinsed on Ripple <laughs> in the big You got spike. in too late. Did um, you ever end up offloading your Ripple at a good time? I did. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't crazy. But okay. I anyway, sorry. I, I, no, no, it was fine. But it, it was more just, I think the mental mindset was like, I'm going to do something got the family on board, which again is another big conversation where you're sort of at my life stage. We've got kids, activities and, and, and bills and things like that. But, uh, I knew that if I was going to go into something like it would mean quitting my job because again, I'm just, I'm not that big of a fan personally of, of kind of side hustling and just trying to make things work. And yeah, then immediately just started, you know, I, I hadn't met any teams I'd say during the propel program specifically that I was like a great fit for to sort of join or I, or I'd connected with other in like a mentorship capacity. But once the accelerator started opening up and, and some alumni started coming back in and people sort of a little more established and, and a little farther along, um, yeah, I started getting really interested in, in crypto and Bitcoin and, and cannabis as sort of the two emerging industries coming out, I would say until 2017 my my experience with cannabis had really been probably profoundly negative i would say overall like as a teenager <laughs> and in my 20s 
like anytime I'd, I'd use cannabis or anything like that, I didn't have that good of experience, got paranoid, whatever, whatever it was, and, and really wasn't a heavy user or anything uh, at all. Um, but in 2017, um, my sort of latest startup story was uh, I was helping run the accelerator program at Western and we were doing interviews for our programming. And uh, Mario uh, came in the door to pitch for, uh, Mario's my co-founder, um, came in to pitch for the accelerator and he had just kind of got up from his desk at Imperial Oil where he was working at the time as a chem chemical engineer, come in the door and, and pitched uh, this idea of what is now Motif. And um, yeah, I just saw something in him right away. The idea was, was still in its early stages in terms of what he'd been thinking, but I could tell he was motivated. He was driven. He was about to to quit his six figure job that he literally just got out of university. You know, you work all this time, and he's like, "Nope, I've been to all three legal states. I see a gap in the market with where this industry is going to be going in Canada in terms of concentrates. You know, um, cannabis is being legalized in in Canada. Not everyone wants to pick up a smoking habit. There's all these other ways to consume cannabis uh, through concentrates and oils and topicals." And so he sort of came in with this idea and this gap. And uh, I'd been helping two other cannabis companies at the time uh, through Propel. Yeah, yeah. Starting to learn a little bit about uh, about the industry. And uh, yeah, it was a combination of, of just immediately hitting it off with, uh, with Mario about recognizing this gap in the market and then about being sort of mentally ready to have made the shift that sort of allowed me to really dive in deep quickly and, and make a decision. How far along was his idea when he pitched it to you? Was it just drawings? Was there customers? Was there patents? Was there any, like no? It was, was it? it was early, early days. Yeah, um, initial outline of like the idea and the problem, uh, but again with things sort of opening up in Canada and just starting to learn a little bit more about this, I just thought to myself, you know, how how often can you be at the start of a brand new industry? You know, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, this whole crypto thing was going on, and as much as I sort of love that because I still don't understand like fully uh -uh. what it is or how yeah. it works or how it can be applied. My level of comfort to actually like quit and like start something in that industry was, was less at the end of the day. What we're doing now is a manufacturing company, which is a lot easier to sort of wrap yeah. your head around. And, uh, and, and was his idea as straightforward as there's a gap in the market. Look, let's go uh, do something of, of, uh, of people wanting to consume, but not wanting to smoke. So essentially what motif is, is just, you create, these uh these products for you know, consumables and sure yeah and, and i mean such. The, yes the, is that the problem a little more but yeah, yeah essentially that it was you know all all these licenses that have been given out in canada today are all to grow if you go south of the border and walk into dispensary more than half the products on the shelves are not flour they're the oils and topicals yeah. and very few people are thinking about it in canada and also it's really hard to do it's not the same as growing a plant and so I think he was really smart to recognize early on, you know, all these companies starting up are basically a combination of farmers switching over <clears throat> to a cash crop and like investment bankers from Toronto who are like like capitalizing them, yeah. on the IPO environment and taking all these companies public. But very few people with actually like a chemical engineering background to figure out like how do you actually separate out these cannabinoids and formulate them back into products. Mm -hmm. uh, very few of those people were be adding to teams in, in Canada. So he just... <clears throat> He, yeah, he, uh, he had the idea and then it was rough around the edges, but he came in and, uh, I mentored him for about three months before fully deciding. Cause we were also dealing with some shareholder issues on, on the end with that company. And, uh, I also wanted to sort of figure out my transition out of propel, but, uh, yeah, about three months after helping him, I agreed to sort of transition in there and transition out of Western while we raised, uh, around money. And, um, 
yeah, so essentially now uh, Motif is is a business to business company. We're awaiting Health Canada licensing, which should be coming in April. It's been a crazy process to even get here. Like business two- to business. So are you helping all these uh, cannabis companies do exactly that? So these, these existing companies, you're the person that helps them put in these alternate consumption. Yeah, sources? we are. So we are essentially an oil refinery. If Got you think you. about it that way. Mm-hmm. So there's all these large cultivators. They have a demand for oil and oil-based products. A lot of them have their own brands now, but they don't have the internal skill set or money to sort of build out this infrastructure. So they send us all their uh, trim. So one of the good things about our business as well is you can actually use like the cannabis trim and not the flower. So it's a waste product, which you can then take, still contains cannabinoids, make oil, sell it back to them. I just love how like, you're now like in all this like weed terminology. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It, it's such a weird thing. <laughs> trim trim is the stem. Yeah, stem, fan leaves, yeah. and some of the lower grade bud as they're yeah. actually trimming the buds off, like they'll mm-hmm. cut bits of the bud off as well. And so the trim itself generally will still, if you're growing a cannabis that's kind of like a 20% THC, the trim will have about 12% still of its content in oil. And uh, yeah, and so we're and we're also helping sort of brands that are emerging now with like wholesale supply of oil and that sort of thing. Has what? your has your science background helped sort of learn in getting all or or, or uh, has it helped you with the industry just understand it overall? It has a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. Definitely in terms of understanding the process. I'm very much like a selling CEO because we're a small team. Mm-hmm. When I'm out in meetings, I also have to sell the service. Mario can't be anywhere or everywhere. You know, he's trying to build out a, a operations team right now at our site. Our facility's done. And he's so more technical. He's definitely more technical, but because of my background, I've been able to at least pick it up to be able to speak knowledgeably on the subject. And uh, yeah, I've, I've learned a ton and I, I have high hopes, although the industry sort of skyrocketed and then in terms of sort of the public markets has sort of crashed back down to earth it's long long term i think um there's crazy medicinal benefits of of cannabis that i think we're still just starting to see one thing a lot of people don't realize but when legalization happened in october 2017 um a lot of funding also opened up for like r d for universities so now they're actually starting to get into sort of clinical trials of specific cannabinoids and, and that sort of thing. And although sort of the anecdotal evidence of, you you know, you might've heard terms like CBD and, and yeah. things like that. Although anecdotal evidence of sort of health benefits of certain cannabinoids is is becoming overwhelming to me, you still need that science. That to hard back science. To be able yeah. to mm-hmm. say. Uh, but I can tell you, uh, we were talking off air, you know, I, I hurt my knee a few weeks ago, but um, cannabis is helping me more in the evening, more than any painkiller that they've tried to give me. It's just, it truly is a medicine, I think. And I think if used the right way, you know, people's perceptions of cannabis is that, you know, you just get super high yeah. and whatever else. And, you know, especially in our world of sort of the formulation, if you get these blended products that, uh, you know, involve THC, which is very good for pain, but also super psychoactive. And you can blend that with CBD, which counteracts the psychoactive effects. You can really start to help people in a number of different ways. And by hurt his knee, he means he ripped mangled three out of the four, tore three out of the four ligaments in his knee. Uh, and we can, I want to, I did want to talk about that injury a little bit at the end. Uh, I think we can almost put a bow on this, this subject matter though. Was it all your involvement with all these startup companies that let you see what the emerging market was, or was that an interest outside of propel always keeping an eye out just on the market in general? Right. Um, no, I think it was propel actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say. Just again, because until you're actually exposed and trying to help someone on a problem, you're never really going to dive into it as much as you do other than like reading a few news articles. 
but you know, I think because I had the passion for helping the companies I really wanted to succeed, I, I dove in deep on them and it really helps you learn a lot about certain industries and, and certain things. Um, yeah. And with motif, you know, what, one other thing I wanted to share sort of with listeners is, is cause everyone sort of sees now the rock star lifestyle, so-called of, of motif, you know, it's been two years. We've raised about $8 million. It's We've crazy. Yeah. 12 magazine people, com- com- magazine covers. covers, but it's still very much like a startup. Like it's crazy. The number of hats we're wearing, we still haven't hit revenue and it's, one thing I think a lot of people don't realize as well is like raising money off investors is, is like terrifying because now I have someone else's money in my bank. Yeah. It's not my own. And like, if things don't go well, like they're going to be pissed off and they're going to be caught. And it's not even just like the threat of like them calling you. It's more just like they put their faith in me. Yeah. And I just feel like mm-hmm. such a level of like ownership now and like making it succeed because I think people only see the other side of like the reason read the news art article of, you know, motif raises $4 million or whatever. I'm like, oh, that guy's like, yeah, he's got a Ferrari and now. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, a, the money's, you know, in terms of salary, I'm still not back to where I was when I had my Western yeah, job, yeah. which is fine. I know I was getting into, but it's still very much, you know, a, a startup and it's, it's raising money and starting a company is, is super hard. And I think a lot of it is sort of put with like rose colored glasses in terms of like what it actually is, but really having to be like committed and weather sort of the ups and downs as they come. And it's the same for you guys in, in sort of your industry as well. Very few people can, I think, like withstand the significant ups and downs. And for us, they're they're almost daily at this point. Like I wish they it's were just like surviving. Now, I but, think that's what success yeah. is. It's really just surviving, keeping keeping it, it alive, keeping yourself going. Um, I uh, and the other thing I wanted to ask is, um, are you the guy? First of all, you were at Propel, and uh, you always kind of maybe had an idea that this was you know build it, get value. Like you look at the positions you're in as you know like. I want to learn. I want to grow. Um, with Motif, it was your connections at Propel that also helped you raise money, helped you be this salesy person because you were such a hub of alumni and students that have gone For on sure. to do cool things. What Did you recognize earlier Propel the value in that or was it something that only was kind of like realizing as you were needing to call on? Because you'd always been the guy yep. that had been called on for you to like turn around and be like, hey, I got something going on like what is that yeah. something you could see coming or was that a surprise a bit of a surprise um yeah that's a really good question because i you know i i while i was at propel i also had the opportunity to teach um a couple of courses at, at ivy to hpas as well and one thing that i always tell them something i've learned sort of as i've got older now is you know the joke i used to make on the first day was like i have just as much chance of working for you guys one day as you have working for me like <laughs> the, the path to success is no longer based on like seniority and years of experience and you know i have just as much to learn from from people like mario's in his 20s right and we're, we're a great team and i just have always had the mindset of like you can learn just as much from people 20 years younger than you people 20 years older and so yeah having that mindset it, again in propel i think was just uh a huge game changer because you just sort of learn so much in that sort of position and uh yeah. These are such you, healthy mindsets that you have. I just don't know where they come from. I'm like, <laughs> where's the source of these mindsets? Part of, part of it is reflecting on them. I think at the time, no one is sort of yeah. clear, even in terms of like thinking through of like my career path, like it might seem like well mapped out when you sit down and talk about it later. But like yeah. at the time, you're just sort of getting by. You seem to hit them at the right moment. Like just being able to say to the class, I could be working for you. That's not reflective it's it's like reflective on your history to be 
perfectly timed for that exact right. moment. But anyway, Rob, what were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say, you were talking a little bit about how just having investors' money, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit intimidating, like about following through on what you say you're going to do. Yep. Uh, it just got me thinking, generally, what is, you know, um, with, with all these startups and they get investors' money, generally, what is the contract between... Uh, between the two parties, you know, if things fall through right. or they don't, you know, make money or, you know, is like, do the investors protect themselves in any way? Like, I just, I have no idea how these yeah. contracts That's are. That's a good question. Sort of it, drawn it can up. vary, but in general, I mean, if you're investing into a startup, you have to be an accredited investor. Yeah. Which generally means you have to, you know, fit one of certain criteria in terms of having a certain net worth or a certain income and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the understanding is that it's it's risk capital like if, yeah. if it goes away it goes away uh there's nuances within the agreement a lot of investors will want uh certain control levers again one red flag i i tell people i work with to look out for is if investors want control of your company that's generally like a really bad red flag to me because now you know thinking of if you know being on the other side of the table is invest in your success or an investor you need to own it and like be the one staying up at night if it's not yeah. doing well. If I own your company, then all of a sudden it's my problem, right? And I think mm -hmm. it's one of these sort of dragon denisms that people think like, oh, all these VCs want to own. Most investors do not want operational control or to own your company because then it's their problem, not yeah. your problem, right? And if they're investing in you, it's because they believe in you and your ability to execute. And so, and it's what my investors have, have told us as well. It's like, this is yours, you know? I mean, there are problems come up, call me for advice, but at the end of the day, this is kind of on you. We yeah. don't want control. We want you guys to execute on what you said you're gonna do. And it, in, it's really smart because if you pick sort of people with my mindset, I'm like, this has to work now, right? Like th this yeah. literally has to work. It's well, not gonna fail because I don't wanna let those people down because we have a lot of money and because, you know, it's now my second kick of the can. And that's what I was gonna say, gonna like happen. speaking of red flags and, and all this stuff you're mentioning, are you the guy in the boardroom that's like, or I don't know where you guys, if you guys have a boardroom, <laughs> uh, you guys, are you the guy in the gym locker room that's like, recession's coming. We have to recession proof ourselves. Like, let's have this, like, let's have all these kind of game plans. Like what happens in this market, that market? Right. Are you like acutely aware of the market because of your history or were you? A little, a little bit. I think it's. The, the one thing with cannabis is things are changing so quickly that it's it's definitely not for the faint of heart in terms of where things are going. Mm -hmm. And we've had already had to pivot quite a bit, but um, but it definitely helps you. I will say the one thing about raising money from sort of sophisticated investors, even if they take a little bit more of your company versus sort of, you were asking sort of about the dynamic, you know, it, it's so different between investors. I, I know people who've raised a lot of money with people who just never call them. We're almost mm -hmm. on the full opposite end where we have very hands-on investors, but I view it as a positive because they hold me to account, right? And the board meetings happen when they happen. I better be prepared for them. We're going to get tough questions no matter what. And so even though I'm a founder CEO, I still feel like I have like a boss, right? Who's like yeah. really going to be- that, that does help. It really, yeah. it helps so much because otherwise it's just so, things get- hard to a point that it's just so easy to like put them off or things mm. like that. But if you have that level of accountability, so you may not want that at like a pre-seed pre stage when you've got like an angel just putting a bit of money in to see if something has legs. But once, you know, 
you're getting to a point where things are getting real, you know, having someone to hold you to account, whether it's a mentor mm. or ideally an investor is, is important. Uh, and I've, I've heard things like from our friends at start breweries and even in cannabis that those are markets that luckily seem to be less affected by, uh, just general market health. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, in fact, some, some of them even get bolstered. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, that was more just of a joke if you have like right. a tinfoil hat on, <laughs> uh, and, the, and my last point before we talk about, um, your injury at, to close us off the, the idea that you need to do what you love, uh, do what you like, do what you're good at. Like all these different things that I hear get tossed around by entrepreneurs with motif and cannabis. It I'm guessing cannabis, you don't love it. Like you said, right. but there's what is what is it at motif that you love or like you're good at or like yeah. what is how do you assess motif do you just love the success do you love the building like what is the deal that's a really good question i would say now i'm, I'm definitely a believer in cannabis um and have learned a lot about it but initially when making the decision i think i love the i love finding opportunities and figuring out if i have a skill set that can sort of help those along, if that makes sense. So it's not even like the finance or the money component. It's like I said, like, it's just, it's such a crazy time right now in the industry where it feels like the first inning still. And we're able to look at like the very first entrance into this market and like the mistakes they're making and the opportunity that's giving us as sort of the second wave getting in here. And so just the thrill of being able to link up sort of my skill set and knowledge with like something where I think I can add value is just a really... That's what that's Compelling what thing. fulfills you. Yeah, that's what that's what you yeah. love about your work. Because you, when we met last, you're like, I'm I'm liking this a lot. You're like, I'm yeah. really enjoying myself. Yeah, it's it's been it's fun and just the, that opportunity to kind of like build a team again. And like I said uh, earlier in the podcast, you know, I think anyone, uh, any of your listeners who are you know thinking about being entrepreneurs who have had that first taste of like actually like building something with a team and then like putting it out there and seeing that come back in terms of just feedback that you're on the right track or, or market or revenue is like, it's so much more important than like what money you make out of at the end of the day, because it's just such a fulfilling thing, right. To be doing mm -hmm. something for yourself mm -hmm. and you know, whether it's millions of dollars or even just enough money to live, I think you'll find like the people who are happiest in life. I think what, what's that status? Like after $70,000 like a year, or maybe it's a hundred in Toronto. It's like a hundred, 120 in Toronto. Yeah. Happiness isn't affected by yeah. And you know, it's that, that's something I think you do, pick up more with age as well. Cause something I've learned is, is, you know, especially with like the injury now and just things, health, things pop up in life family, is yeah. there's so much more important, but there's so many ways to be personally fulfilled beyond like a big paycheck. And I think that being like an entrepreneur is, is a really good way to do yeah. Cool. Well, I definitely, you know, we know money doesn't buy happiness <laughs> a beyond 120, but it definitely doesn't hurt <laughs> and it could definitely buy you a new knee. Okay. Um, so let's try to get you those millions so, yeah. you, so you can afford the stem cell bionic <laughs> knee your, uh, treatment. So they, they clearly have never had a, uh, a line fast pass at Canada's Wonderland. <laughs> oh my God. Hey. Yeah. Money oh, I, heard that one. I heard that. Oh, one. you remember that podcast? <laughs> yeah. So you, you play, you said you played soccer growing up and you just kept playing. So you did all these Ironmans, you did all this like strenuous cardio work and it was just rec soccer. Recently, you just wrecked up your knee again yep were you slide tackling was were you kicking were you well, like what was the deal just just a funny plant got a through ball took a shot and landed on my foot and my knee went the way it shouldn't and uh yeah knew right away and um yeah it was just two weeks ago and i would say it's 
I'm a little bit nervous because for me, fitness is like a really good de-stress and especially with, with the company now and everything. And I, I told you about my experience with the first company. I've always found fitness to mm -hmm. be like a really good outlet and sports in general. And for Recumbent some people, it's bicycles is what you need. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The ones where you, you yeah. pedal with your hands, Just the hands. Yeah. Is that right? Or no, recumbent is like seated. I don't know. Anyway, get the hand know. bikes. Yeah, I've been on a salt bike, I think, or something they're called. Okay. But, uh, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. That sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah. What do I know? But yeah, so I mean, it's, you know, you go through the initial getting bummed out. Might be the last time I ever play soccer. I still played fairly competitively, but I think at the end With of the that day, attitude, you know, maybe? you just got to use it as a, <laughs> well, I just, I like other sports as well, right? And so. Um, Did you go over to Fowler Kennedy? Went over to Fowler, yeah. Top yeah. notch folks over there. Uh, but the, the downside best. is uh, you got to wait because they're doing the Canadian ski team and the NHL players and uh, all that sort of thing. But um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get in the right mindset of just viewing it as just an, yet another challenge. And uh, I've already booked sort of a, a goal coming out of my recovery that I'm, I'm going to do another Ironman when it's all done because I need nice. to have goals yes. I work towards. And so maybe two years from now, but after my surgery, I'll sort of set that timeline up to figure out how I'm going to get back on the horse and uh, yeah. get to it. I, I was trying to figure out a way to tell you this in text because I know it sucks and like I wouldn't wish it on anybody but the fact that it happened to you I was like this might be like things were kind of like you were, you were in this world things are all going this one direction I think having that type of challenge for you is going to be like a big balance to all that mm -hmm. something to completely like perspective check right. realign uh, something to work on like you said you like having goals challenges uh, I think it'll be if anyone can do it, it's you. Uh, return to sport definitely possible. You're not, especially in today's age, you're not you're not very you're not very old. Like your body's you're in good shape. Yep. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity as someone who's dealt with long injury um, to uh, to show like your kids kind of how to deal with stuff mm -hmm. like that. Because I remember mm -hmm. my mom going through like injuries for a few years, and I remember thinking of her when I messed my head up. Right, and I was like. Two years. I was like, she she had she couldn't use her shoulders for like two years. I was like, I can do this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think uh, everything bad can happen for a reason if you make it. I think you're the right guy, unfortunately, to, for this to happen to. Uh, and I just wish you luck with it. And Thank hopefully, you. Like you said, it's all, everyone's got their stuff, right? It's all yeah. relative. And a lot of people have a lot worse things going on than me. So it's just getting in that right mindset. And, uh, and bionic stuff back. is coming. Yeah, and exactly. A stem cell. So you need to make, it's expensive. It's still like 25 Gs. You got to go down to like, I don't know, <laughs> South America. But uh, I need one of McDavid's uh, hyperbaric chambers or something. I did those well. for a while for did my you? head. You know what? Didn't really work. No. But you could run. F oh, man. Okay. We'll end this podcast. But I did the hyperbaric chambers for uh, like two, three weeks, maybe a month. And I could run unlimited. I had so much ox dissolved oxygen yeah, in my yeah. tissue and, and <laughs> I, I would just hop on a sprint outside of my house and just never stop until I had like, <laughs> really, eh? I could, I could run forever. And I, wow. saw, I was like at the clinic, I was like, guys, I was like, I don't know if you guys know this. I was like, I can run forever. And they're like, no, we know marathon runners come in here. Yeah. A couple of weeks more before the race. In the blood. Yeah, yeah. They come in to go. Yeah. It's all good. I, but, Honestly, it's worth a try. A couple hundred bucks a session. Uh, did I also paid for some of my oxygen treatment with jewelry. I don't know if you remember that. 
I bartered jewelry because they were into fashion. This was like a family-run oxygen therapy center. (laughs) And you spend a month there. You're in there twice a day. They get to know you. Yep. And they're like, well, what's your deal? I got this jewelry company. This is when I was still in Propel. Uh, the, The two boys there were into fashion. And they're like, we could pay for this. Or do you want to just like barter for treatment? $2,000 $2,000 of jewelry. Really? Swear to God. Good for you. And I just had to pay the cost, obviously. Right. right. Um, wow. So, yeah. Nice. Entrepreneurship, man. <laughs> anyway, this was uh, a packed episode. Appreciate it for you to Thanks find for the time. Me. Yeah. Thanks a lot, no, man. It's, uh, I, I listen to most of your guys' shows. I, I like what you're doing. And, and like I said, I, uh, I follow along because I believe in what you guys are doing as well. And uh, don't give up. You've sacrificed a lot, and I think it'll pay off. Thank you, man. I'll we'll watch that back every time we get rejected out there, (laughs) Uh, and we'll do a post show like we do after the shows now, um, so we don't have to say see you next Tuesday yet. But thank you very much, and best of luck with everything, and it's all gonna work out because you're the man. Thank you. Cheers. Take care. Welcome to the post show, my true jammers. The post Malone show. Between the filming of the episode you just listened to it right now, I have suffered a cold, and that's why I might be speaking about an a occult. cult. A cold. You've suffered from a cult. A, a cult. What you've does been, that mean? You've been abused and yeah, used and abused by, by bacteria. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and my voice is uh, my voice is a little mangled. It's late. It's late on the night we put out a podcast. It's literally 12.41 a.m. Yeah. And I'm going to go take this audio session after. Mm-hmm. Probably up until 2 a.m. getting this out. Mm. And that's the fucking grind. So anyone out there that wants to sponsor us to help pay for this pain and suffering, mm. just e-transfer me, you know? We don't have Patreon. E-transfer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, turn me down. My mic's a little hot there. Yeah, just just Same. just e transfer. You know, I could take nothing crazy. Like, like, like how much? How much are we talking here? Like, just send me like fifty bucks. You know, fifty bucks. Okay, maybe five hundred actually. Five hundred. Whatever yeah. you're feeling. You know, not a big deal. We're, um, we're talking about like digging you out of debt here. Yeah, big debt guy right now. Uh, part part of my whole thing going into 2020 was like, I was like, fuck it. I was like, I'm gonna elevate my lifestyle. And then dig my way out instead of just like keeping on the same path. So yeah. I went into a little, I'm going to call it controlled debt, mm-hmm. but uh, it's feeling scary. It, it is, it does, it's not having the debt effect. I just, I took a line of credit and I just fucking pulled it out, bought everything I needed, paid for all this shit. I like it. And I'm now in a little bit of cool debt. You've been looking good lately. It, money does that to you, dude. <laughs> money really helps. Go things. figure. Go figure. Um, but uh speaking of that kev producer kev pulled us a nice uh you know picked the uh the neighbor's trash and picked us a nice table here yeah we have a new new table here from the neighbor throwing it out one yeah, man's trash thanks. another man's table that's what i was <laughs> um robbie just got back he was at a concert he's at, had a couple pops feeling good looking good and uh i wanted to talk about the episode we just had with ian um i hope you enjoyed it he, uh, I really, and I hope you also, uh, when you listen to that episode, you really got a picture of how impressive that story is. It, we might have, you know, downplayed it because of how little we got to touch and stuff, but the company's running. He said he, he raised eight fucking million. That's dollars. big. Big ups to Ian. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
with uh, the trajectory of his industry and stuff like that, you have no idea how how, uh, how big that company can get. So that's huge ups to Ian. And thanks for sharing. Um, thanks for coming by too. Yeah. Uh, like, we appreciate that. We do. We really do. And we hope the people listening do as well. Uh, and that was a great story. Uh, but this segment, we talk about our music stuff. And we were just in the studio on Friday. Yeah, we had a killer day yeah. in the studio. <clears throat> Speaking of money being way better than not having money. What? Studios. Paying professionals so much better than doing it yourself. Yeah. Just in terms of just, man, we, we write songs and then we go through this like, I, I hate the feeling of writing a dope song and then spending six to eight months just figuring out how the fuck to finish it. <laughs> yeah, to put it all together. <laughs> Where like we could just drop a thousand bucks, go to a studio, get yeah. the get a professional, just lay it down. Um, like it's a hundred percent worth it. Yeah. So well we don't know yet the result. We had a great day in studio. We were at Dreamhouse Studios, our boy Calvin absolutely killed it uh, as our in recording raw- engineer. And the raw recording sounded fantastic. So it's just fun, man. Mike and things like all the all the cool equipment they had. I got to play a nice, expensive guitar. Uh, the drums. Oh, dude, just watching. It, it, yeah, it you were playing a, a dope guitar. That was like a fucking. That's expensive, man. An expensive guitar. Yeah. A uh, big, big, big setup on the amp too. Anyway, we had a blast. Um, so we're going in in another week to finish the mixing of that song. Should be done. We had a big meeting today, Rob and I, to we laid out the entire checklist for our big launch concert for the song. Uh, all our plans for, you know, album art, merch, reaching out to all these people, getting things in motion. We even wrote a new song today. We're still on our schedule of writing. The song sounds dope. The cons- the schedule we're holding ourselves to, although we're not perfect at it yet, we're, we're getting stuff done at a way, way faster rate than we were last year. Dude, way faster. Way better, and I think we gotta just we have to be a bit more precise because we can even do better than what we're at we right now. We can definitely do better. Um, so yeah, big things coming. Hopefully, we'll be announcing. We're having the hardest time hearing back from the venue. We want. We'll keep it DL right now, but once we get that venue's approval, um, we're gonna start hammering uh, the video team, seeing you know who can get to work on it, booking the artists that are gonna play with us getting uh, our merch and album art uh, in motion, and we'll hopefully be announcing within a week or two this big show where we're going to film a music video at, and you can be there. And it's going to be fucking sick. It's going to be a fucking time. Um, so that's be there with friends, with family, <clears throat> with girlfriends, you know. Boyfriends. Like, boyfriends. With, with anyone you want to be. Yeah, and really. you're going to have a good time, so... Trust us. Trust us. This is going to be one for the books. The work we're putting in to get the the people we want uh, at the show with us and uh, the vibe we're going to put on if we get the venue that we, I don't want to name yet because if we don't get it, I don't want to fucking promise what we can't deliver. But if we mm-hmm. get it, it's going to be like fucking... Uh, it's up there. It's very swanky. And uh, yeah, so filming a music video there would be unreal. You get to be in the music video with us, have that memory, you know, stored and saved of uh, just you at your friend's place before they blew up. Cause we're going to blow up and that's just the way it is. And you know, so yeah, that's just what goes on. <laughs> that's just kind of what happens. Uh, other news. Uh, so I did win the Instagram month. It was totaled. 
Okay. Oh, wait, did you total it tonight? Yep. Even with the work you did on the, so Rob did finish. Uh, he ended up finishing. Um, how many? How many more points behind? Uh, I don't remember the exact number, yeah, but yeah. you didn't make up the hundred points you needed. Okay. It was, you, okay. I think you made up like thirty or forty of them. Okay, fair. Um, I, 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 but uh, the video was funny. It was really fucking funny. We got a lot of good feedback. We did a good feedback, a parody of uh, Vogue seventy three questions, and um, yeah, so so great work. And this uh, my two weeks again, slow start, but I've got uh, one post out, a uh, couple stories. I got a post going out tomorrow. Uh, I'm working on my content video uh, idea, and just gonna shoot some photos this weekend, and probably round it out with another four posts. One video, uh, you know, maybe four or five, six stories. It'll be it'll be a decent production week. Um, nothing, uh, nothing crazy for you to beat next month. But you owe me a fucking dinner, and I'm the employee of the month this month. So, you know, king all of right. the castle. Yeah, it's very nice. <laughs> yeah, so I, all week I get to walk all over Rob. I should also get to be like extra mean. Um, is that okay? Uh, sure. Like, what, what, what kind of mean are we talking here? I just want to like be more mean, bossy. Just like, mm, yeah. Okay. Like, I don't know. Just get it out of my system, right? I'll take it. Take it. Yeah. You fat bitch. Maybe like abuse Kev or something. Oh, I, I can't abuse Kev. Um, yo, take you out for dinner. Like, I. <laughs> That's what you got to do. We agreed to this. Don't I, you? I know. I know. I'm not. I'm not backing out here. Just let, let me. Let me finish my sentence here. Mm. I feel like. You could be, uh, you could, <laughs> you'd be happy over like a, like a two shawarma. Like yeah, I'm a cheap date. You're a cheap date. No, but take me somewhere nice. Take me, uh, I want to go to that Italian place that I never been to. You talk about all the time, Sugo. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm not too, I don't want nothing expensive. I don't want to break the bank. I know, I know. Okay. You know what? Me and Liv will take you to Sugo. Yeah. Take me on a little third wheel and, That's uh, fair. I want to, uh, yeah, I've heard okay. good things. Cheap. You'd like it there. You know, you know what you'd like about that place? What? Portions. Big portions. Big portions. Good. I got. I got a hollow leg. I got to fill. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, nothing crazy. You know, I was thinking okay. the CN Tower spinning restaurant, but okay. You know, what, may, may, like, maybe maybe we'll save that for when we have the belts at the end of the year. Yeah. You can walk in there. And, <laughs> it, and you know what? Maybe like the agreement is like the the winner. Like like one caveat: if you win. You gotta like walk into the restaurant and like with the belt over your shoulder, with the br- belt <laughs> over your shoulder, <laughs> and pretend like you're like the world heavyweight champion or something. Oh, I can't. That's a deal. Um, it's like Kenny versus Benny stuff. But yeah, uh, so that's that's the Instagram update. That's the music update. And the last thing I wanted to put in here is Ian mentioned some stuff about you know connections and. And it's, it wasn't necessarily, he was talking about more of a mentor relationship, but he said some stuff about just, you know, just, you know, when you think, of, uh, instead of just being the type of person that just was always asking people for stuff, like, and in, in, in growing your network really big and thinking about who you can ask, just like having a core group of, uh, uh, you know, people that you have that closer relationship with, you can really help each other. And that's something that Robbie and I are, you know, going to focus on and, uh, Robbie got a message tonight from a, from a guy we just recently connected with um, that's in the biz and he, he was so helpful and he just he's like yo I come out he needed some company at a at an event he was going to yeah concert Ro- at the horseshoe uh, Robbie uh, Robbie you know said yes and just had a great night with the dude ended up meeting a few real big wigs in the industry just as a fluke yeah you know you'd be surprised like 
like you kind of understand why so many of these guys just go out all the time. You know, even like our friends do it all the time. And like in we, the business, like in, in music, in, they yeah, go out to yeah, shows all yeah, the time. Yeah, in the business, just go out to shows because like there's always people to meet. There's always, um, there's there's always like people that are supportive. Also, you know, like like you meet people and everyone and like and anyone who's in the industry, like if you're if you're hanging around with the right crowd, like people are supportive as well. And uh, you'd you'd be surprised just how many how many many how many connections you can make how many people um are out at these places and like uh it's something i feel like we don't do enough of and should maybe make more effort of doing in the future it's just like you know making it out to like some like any kind of like industry nights or like little music showcases or just anything of the sort yeah especially if it's someone you're like you know someone invites you out like someone you know someone that wants some support needs some support like yeah. tonight, he just wanted a buddy. He's yeah. wanted a buddy to roll with, and you know, I'm not. Uh, and you, you literally were just like, yeah, fuck it, not expecting anything of it, and and good things come from that. And a bunch of our friends put on stuff, and you know, I'm just saying, go to that stuff. Go to yeah. go to your friends, whatever they're doing, support go, it, and go support your friends. Or if your friend needs a buddy to roll with to the music stuff or whatever is your industry, I think that's a a great place to start, and then just building a genuine connection with the people you're in this grind with that can help each other out even if it's not mentor mentee it's just like kind of peers just grinding it out um so i thought that was pretty cool you came home and you showed me these people you met and was not expecting that they're fucking high up and no man yeah the, the music world it's it's cool you know what just support friends support people support your industry you know be out there you know, give give take back. networking opportunities. Give it's like, back. It's like the frat. You know, you get out what you put in. Remember, they used to, always used to say totally, that. Totally, totally. Yeah. Everything, everything you do, you get out what you put in. So I, I, it's not that hard to go to a, a fun concert. It's not like you no. worked hard. You had a couple pops. You're a little toasty right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's work. You did work. It's work. You did networking. Net networking. Yeah. Just minus the net. Or I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Sorry. No networking, but like. It was working minus the net. What? Does that, mean, that doesn't make sense. How many beers did you have, dude? How many <laughs> fucking beers did I'm, you... I'm trying to think. It's, it's, it's working. It's working. Yeah. Plus the net. Okay, go to bed. I'm going to stay up till 2 a.m. and yeah, put right. this together and get it out. You can catch all the fucking Z's and figure out what you're trying to say. Smell ya. Smell ya. And everyone out there, thanks for listening. If you still are here, you're the goat. And uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. Adios. Some kind of bitch. She's some kind of wonderful. She makes me mean-